Hi everybody, welcome to the Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host Bill Little, yet another Technically Perfect launch from the uh, Technically Perfect show. Uh, glad to see everybody here. Uh, I think we have a uh, kind of a first time event here on the Stratosphere Lounge. I think this is the first time I've ever issued a content warning in advance. Uh, so, let me just tell you about this real quick because I'd like to get through this so that people can... I'd like to have as much of the show as possible after this uh, segment. So. We've been talking a lot about AI on, on the Stratosphere Lounge on and off for quite a while now and um, different forms of AI and I've been interested in, um, in uh, AI's ability to manipulate images. So I was just scrolling through Instagram uh, four or five days ago I guess and um, I saw an, an ad on Instagram for, a, for an AI app called Wonder, a photo processing app. And so I picked it up. Now, here's why there's a content warning. Uh, none of the, the images, and I've got a bunch of them, got like a hundred to show you. None of them feature nudity, none of them feature particularly graphic violence, but they are horror images, and I'll tell you how we got there. And they are, some of them are extremely disturbing. They're disturbing because they're surreal and they're surreal because I didn't draw them. The computer drew them. Uh, but I wrote myself some very interesting images. And that's the thing I'd like to just start with before we get to, to the pictures and then we'll get on with questions right away. What you're about to see is me pushing a button on my phone, but all of the changes are due to me changing the, the parameters. So I'll show you as we go through. I didn't take notes at the time, but from memory I can tell you what I added and what I didn't add, and you can see what the results are. The reason this is fascinating to me is because I don't have any uh, artistic talent in terms of being able to draw or paint or anything like that. However, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty decent writer, and when you get into AI imagery, the computer's doing all the drawing. So it's not a question of your artistic skill, it's a question of your descriptive skill. So uh, I am writing myself into being quite a decent artist. Some of these things I have to tell you, uh, they're all, well, the, the, the good ones are all disturbing, uh, but, but some of these I think are actually sellable uh, if you happen to be a goth vampire. Uh, people are saying the mic is better here. Yes, uh, on, on this week's Right Angles, I simply had the wrong mic selected. I was re It was recording from the mic over there. And I checked it every time. I said, Scarlet, yep, Scarlet, yep. Except I don't use the Scarlet here. I use the Rode. I was just distracted, and there we go. All right, here we go. So, here, so if you joined us and you, and you didn't see the content warning, uh, I'm about to show you surrealistic horror images. How much was the software? I think the software was three free. And then you can get like a $4 a month thing. You can hear the fan. Let me turn that off. Let me just do that. Um, I can turn, I, I mean, I can't turn off all the fans, but I can turn off these drives. Hang on one second. Let me do that. Because one of these drives is going bad. Much better. I don't know if you guys notice it being much better, but it sure feels much better. Okay, so um, so uh, again, if you didn't get the warning, uh, let me just put it to you the, the, the clearest way I can put it. 
thanks to the geniuses at, at MST3K. What you're about to see is some good old-fashioned nightmare fuel. So let's get to it. Now, I'm going to describe to you, I, I loaded, I don't know, 150 images, something like that. Um, I did, uh, they're done in the vertical format, the uh, portrait format. So I was able to put two on a frame to fit this size and they are in chronological order. So I'm gonna walk you through how I got those images and then, um, then we can talk about it. All right, uh, so here we go. So I got this AI app and uh, the first thing I did with it was I typed in, oh, by the way, the AI app has any number of, of stylized versions and then it's got a realistic version which uses photographs and it's different, art, they call them different artists, but there's different algorithms for that. I went with the hyper-realistic algorithm. I wanted, I wanted photographic quality and that's what we got. So uh, I got my little app and I opened it up and, I, and the first two words I typed into this, uh, to this app, which is called uh, Wonder, by the way. I typed in the words uh, alien planet and these are the images I got first. Hey, look at that, alien planets. All right, that's kind of cool. Uh, it's a little trippy. So I went ahead and I decided, because I'm working on the colonies, always working on the colonies, how about if we try Ice Planet? So I took away Alien Planet and I replaced it with Ice Planet. Here's what Ice Planet got us. These are all completely generated by a computer. None of these are actual photographs. It's a consolidation of photographs. That's pretty cool. Let's see, I did, I think, a bunch of them. So let's go with another iteration of Ice Planet. All right. And then let's do um, Ice Planet uh, again. All right. Giving me some ideas. Hoth, exactly. Well played, uh, Road Rider 58. Yes. And then, uh, and then I did, um, I did this. I said, all right. One more Ice Planet. I want to say. Yeah. Checking my notes back and forth here. Okay. So there's Ice Planet. Fantastic. Okay. So yeah, I'm impressed. You know, it's worth the money. Uh, by the way, you get it for free, and then you can get a subscription. It has to be done. It, it processes the pictures online. And you can, it's like $4 a month or $34 for a lifetime thing. So if, if technically the app costs $34, is how it co that's how much it costs me anyway. So I said, okay, I've got some good ideas for Ice Planet here. Now let's, um, let's try uh, Jungle Planet. Okay, let's try Jungle Planet. So when I tried Jungle Planet, I got uh, this. Ooh, that's kind of cool, but it's not really what I wanted. Um, you know, it's not exactly right. So tried, um, let's try uh, Waterworld. Well, that's kind of neat. Then I was looking at this Waterworld picture, and I thought, you know, let's go back for a second to the uh, to the Jungle Planet. It's not capturing what I want from uh, from my Jungle Planet in the colonies because what I want from that is I want it to be just deadly. I wanted I wanted it to be deadly, and it needed to be like more like like mucusy and 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 infection and that kind of thing. I said, okay, infection. All right. So there's the water world again. So then I cleared everything and I typed in one word into the AI. I typed in the word plague, and this is what I got. 
Now, I should tell you that what what I'm what I'm displaying here is um, is probably one out of every four. One out of every four or five iterations. And by the way, you can leave the parameters alone and tell it to go around again. You will never get the same image twice. It starts from a different random seed. Every one of these uh, images is unique and cannot be reconstructed if you wanted to. They're also watermarked with the wonder, and I didn't know how to save it. I, I do now. I can save them without that, so I'll take that out in Photoshop. Okay, so that's um, so that's plague. I thought, okay, now we start to get into the to the uh, to the, the actual process. I'm learning as I go. So I said, okay, so here's plague and a couple other plagues that I didn't include. What if we do black plague? What what do we get if we add black plague? Well, if we add black plague, we get this, among others. Like I said, these are probably one out of four. People are already saying I need a t-shirt with that. I've got you covered. Wait till you see some of these t-shirts. Yeah, Nurgle, exactly. Now, I didn't type the word plague or black plague in there. I just typed it in the description and the AI decided to include it in some of these images and not include it in others. If you look on the right, it says black plague kind of. And then below that, it's trying to say hyper-realistic. Okay, so I thought, all right, this is, this is promising. It's kind of spooky and weird. What can I do to refine this further? Uh, I know. Let's try. Um, let's try bubonic plague. This black plague on the left, and bubonic plague on the right. Uh, yeah, they are. They're all going to look like Metallica albums. I'm telling you. They, they honestly, I think they just get better and better and better. So that's black plague on the left, and then on the right is the first time I added the word bubonic, and that is just pretty cool. So I basically messed around a little bit, but mostly just did new reiterations of bubonic plague. So here's another one with bubonic plague. And here's another one with bubonic plague. And by the way, if you look at the one on the left here, you'll see that the top is cropped off. I didn't crop it. These are all full-frame images. This is how they came out of the machine. Um, but I'm thinking, wow, because I've been trying to do like real, you know, like like you know, ice planet, jungle planet. But I began to realize it's it's actually wanting more uh, stuff that is less concrete, something something more ephemeral. Um, and I had thought when I started playing with the software, uh, here's one more bubonic plague for you. The one on the right's just nuts. Um, I had thought that, okay, what the what the machine's going to want is it's going to want the simplest explanation. It's going to want the fewest words possible. But as I started playing with it, I began to realize, no. What you're about to see now coming up is I'm going to continue to add words. And the more, I, I forget, but I want to say that when I really hit the swing on this thing, I might have had 16, 17 adjectives in there. But what's really cool to watch is, is to watch how me adding a word or subtracting a word, like I said, I didn't write them all down in real time, but I remembered most of them, how it changes what the computer is actually drawing. So that's bubonic plague. Okay, so now for the next image, I thought, okay, that's the one on the right. It's like crazy cool. I wonder what, I wonder what would it do if it, I, I know, I'll give it Jack the Ripper. I'll give it Jack the Ripper because I know a lot about Jack the Ripper. As a matter of fact, I thought to myself, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to give it Jack the Ripper, and you can also give this um, app a picture, and it'll work with that picture as a seed. So as it turns out, I have a picture of Jack the Ripper, whose name was Charles Lechmere, and on this next uh, image, you're going to see Lechmere's picture in the middle, and then, and then that image with the word Jack the Ripper applied to the image of Charles Lechmere. So here's the next one. That's Lechmere in the middle, and these are these are what you get when you combine that image with Jack the Ripper. That's a good start. It's called uh, uh, Wonder. So there's Lechmere. I thought, okay, Jack the Ripper, great. Let's um, let's try another one with just let's take the picture out. Let's lose Lechmere's photo, and let's just see what does the AI make out if I just give it Jack the Ripper. So here's just Jack the Ripper. So the computer obviously goes to the internet and it, and it, and it learns enough about Jack the Ripper. He wasn't a cowboy, no matter what you may think there, uh, uh, Wonder on the right, but that's not the AI's fault, that's my fault. I just entered Jack the Ripper. And this is the first thing that it came back with. Um, but the, uh, but they're, they're evocative, all of these images are evocative. So it learned, it knew who Jack the Ripper was, but it didn't have a real good idea of who Jack the Ripper was. So I said, okay, here's Jack the Ripper machine. Now I added Jack the Ripper, and then I added the word monster. Let's add monster. And I think this is it. Now on the left is maybe the cutest uh, monster Sasquatch of all time, but that thing on the right is just bloody horrifying. I mean, from this point forward, all the way to the end of this, all the way to the end of this, we're going to be talking. Jack the Ripper is going to be the first expression on the line for everything you're about to see from this point forward, I think with the exception of one panel, which I'll mention. But everything you're about to see now is me trying to finesse Jack the Ripper as far as the, as far as the AI is concerned. So let's see, that's uh, 15, yeah. All right, so... Um, so then what I did was, I said, okay, this is all right, but the, the thing about the Jack the Ripper thing that always seems to be iconic for him is this idea of the fog, of him coming out of the fog. So I added Jack the Ripper, I had Jack the Ripper, I added monster, and then I added the word fog, and here's what we got when we added fog. That's fabulous. That's just creepy and weird. That's Jack the Ripper, Monster, and Fog. I like that so much that I decided, okay, I'm going to reiterate that. The one on the right is, you know, you think, well, if you take away the guy standing on the guy, the top guy looks really great. But it's creepier with him standing on the dark guy, dark side. So uh, here's another iteration of, uh, of Jack the Ripper and Fog. And now we're starting to, now we're really starting to, to, to get it. This may be a little bit out of order, but when I was looking at the fog thing, uh, yeah, I'll come back to this. So then I thought, okay, all right, you know what this, you know what these images are missing? They're missing, they're missing Red, Red Jack, you know, that was his, one of his nicknames, Red Jack, Jack the Ripper. There's got to be blood there if Jack the Ripper's there. So I add the word blood to all the other adjectives I have there, and that gets me to uh, this image, these two images. Alrighty. 
one on the left is kind of bizarre, but there's finally some, some blood there. And the one on the right is just wild. Uh, Edward Smith said both are confusing. Ed, 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 they're all confusing. They're surreal. The reason they're confusing and surreal is because the computer doesn't know what Jack the Ripper or Fog looks like. It only knows what photographs have been identified as either Jack the Ripper or Fog or whatever, and it's putting them together. It's like a blind person. It doesn't know. It's just, it's just reaching for elements, and then it combines them, and when it starts to see something that looks like a picture, it starts to iterate that. Uh, Captain, I just asked what website it is. It, it's, a, it's an app for your iPhone called Wonder, and you can see it there on the, on the, uh, on the, um, uh, the, the uh, watermark below. Okay, so I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm really kind of onto things here. Now, I just wanted to tell you one more time that I started out looking for science fiction planets. I didn't go right into this dark place, but once it started coming back dark, I started thinking, okay, what, I have an, in my mind, a big student of Jack the Ripper. I know what, I know what Jack the Ripper feels like. I know what I'm trying to convey. So what words do I have to add or subtract in order to get to what I feel is, is it? So here's another iteration of, of basically what we got. And it's got some blood there now, and, and okay, it's all pretty Jack the Rippery. But I'm looking at these images and I thought, you know, the thing that's really screwing these up is the trees. Jack the Ripper um, wasn't out in the forest. Jack the Ripper was a, was, a, was a city dweller. These are all just too woodsy. So I'm getting there. Uh, sorry, and then uh, so I think this was the same iteration. Yeah, these are not great. The one on the right decided to come out as a DVD box. Don't ask me why. It just kind of did. But I, I included these two, which are not very strong, because I'm looking at these images and I'm thinking it doesn't say city to me. In fact, specifically, it doesn't say London to me. But before I did London, I thought, okay. Let's try woman because we've definitely got a Jack the Ripper here. The computer knows something like a Jack the Ripper. But all of his victims were women, so let's add the word woman and see what we get if we do that. All right, why not? Dar Ripper. I love the way it distorts the letters. Because this is a rasterized image, because the, the letters, Jack the Ripper, are not the computer's not seeing them as letters, it's seeing them as shapes. And so it's iterating them and changing them and, and doing all kinds of weird things like that. So that's what the influence of woman in there. And I thought, okay, not, I don't really like this just yet. So I took woman out and I realized I gotta get out of the forest. Th these guys all look like they're out of the forest. So I took away woman and this time I added London and here's what we got. The one on the left is one of my all-time favorites. The one on the right's awful good too, but the one on the left is a movie poster out of the box ready to go. Now, uh, Edward asked, does it, does it learn in, over time and improve? I don't know. I know that I constantly updated the parameters. That one on the left is just, just tremendous. So that's with London added. And you can see that a lot of the kind of forest imagery is gone, and it's replaced by stuff that's more square, more city looking. And then I'm looking at these images, and I thought, they're not, they're not really popping. I put in blood, and blood got us some red, but just for giggles, um, why don't I just type in the word red? So do Jack the Ripper, do Fog, do London, and then add the word red 
to the description. Oops, hang on, sorry. I'm sorry, I got a little bit out of sequence with the notes. This next one you're about to see, I added the word gore. So that's Jack the Ripper with gore. The one on the right is looks like Rob Zombie. And the one on the left is kind of interesting too. Jack Rip. So that's gore. How long, it, these images are, they, they take, I'll show you when, when we're done. I'll show you the app in action. It's about a 10, 20 second process. That's it. Um, so that's Jack the Ripper with everything else and gore, but for some reason, adding gore kind of blew the city away completely. It took all the background out. So um, I, put, I put that back in. And this time um, I added the word, I don't know if I put the city in yet, I'll know when I see the image. But this next one, 25, uh, yes. This is the one coming up now where I added the word red, just red. Okay, okay. It's pretty trippy, man. Um, good old fashioned nightmare fuel. Now, all of the cropping you see is done by the computer. I put everything up there full frame, so the one on the right decided to go with white bars down the side. I don't know why, but it did. So now I'm thinking, all right, I need to refine this. This is, you know, the one on the right and the one on the left. It's like got a whole bunch of people here. It's like, a, you know, you got a bunch of, like a, the one on the right looks like hills have eyes or something. So I want to kind of singularize this. I want to get it back to kind of one person. So I added the word death. And here's what we got when we added death. All right. I think that guy on the left was on my school bus in sixth grade. Uh, but um, there you go. Uh, so that's, uh, that's uh, Jack the Ripper with death. And here's another iteration of those things, including the word uh, death. Those are both fantastic. The one on the left is 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 just freaking amazing. It's just it's just amazing. Again, I I didn't draw these images. I wrote them. I wrote these images. And look how it did Jack the Ripper, the uh, uh, the one on the left, which is one of my three all time favorites. It decided to add another P in there. I don't know why, but to me that makes it much scarier. And you can see down below his chin on the one on the left, you can see what the, the words dark fog, because those are, those are words that I basically put in there to try to get to this thing. So that's 27. Okay, now I'm thinking, all right, I got a really good Jack the Ripper. Let's not mess around with that. Let's keep the words that we've, that we've got in there. Let's, let's, not, let's not mess around with those because we're getting really pretty good Jack the Ripper images, but we're not getting the, the vibe yet. So I thought, all right, now it's time to start thinking about uh, the victims. So uh, everyone that Jack the Ripper killed was a prostitute. So on this next image, I added the word, everything you see here, and I added the word prostitute. And then the one on the right, I added the word butcher because Lechmere was a butcher. Now, the one on the left is a, is a fantastic image, but it's a modern day prostitute, obviously. Uh, it's a cool, cool image. But uh, it's not Jack the Ripper. The one on the right is with the addition of the word butcher, so you can see like meat cleavers being worked in there and, and big, and big uh, aprons, you know, leather aprons and, and stuff. So that's all fairly horrifying. But I'm still trying to get back to my, to my Jack the Ripper 
1880s London. So I added the word Victorian, and I thought maybe if I add Victorian, it'll make the prostitute look less like she's walking the streets of LA. So here it is with Victorian. The one on the left is, it's fantastic, fantastic. And once again, I just need to say, I didn't put any of the, the wonder is, the word wonder is a watermark. I'm going to Photoshop that out of some of these things. You can save them without the watermark. I just didn't know how. But all of the, all of the words on the, on the right are, are the algorithm trying to make sense of the words that I type in. I think the one kind of in the, like the third word in, just looks like it's starting kind of underneath her right elbow. That was woman and it's been distorted because it doesn't see them as letters. All right, so um, here's another one, I think, uh, with uh, everything and the word Victorian. One on the left is kind of striking, but the one on the right is just, it's fantastic. It's just so surreal. It's so surreal. Um, I don't think it does minus operatives. I, I took the words out, but, you know, so there you go. So um, that's, uh, that's that. Now let's see where we went. Okay, so now I need to get back to Jack the Ripper. I got this, and by the way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not planning on combining images. I'm trying to get them, and not only am I adding words, but I'm adding the order in which the words occur. So I think the, the closer to the front it is, the, the more attention it gives it. And I continue to add words, and they continue to refine that image. So I need to get back to Jack the Ripper, and I and these victims look victimy, but they don't look victimy enough. So on this next one, I added the word "scream" to everything. This is the this is same parameters with the word "scream." Now that one on the left is is just freaking unbelievable. The one on the right's interesting, but the one on the left's just freaking amazing, amazing. So uh, that's uh, Jack the Ripper and uh, and Victorian and Blood and Red and Scream and probably some other ones too. Uh, okay, uh, that's Elephant Man. Here's another one with the same parameters. Uh, Scream, all the ones I just mentioned. Here's another another set of two. Again, some are better than others. One of these algorithms, it, it'll process four at the same time if you're doing realistic images. It, it basically takes four random collections of, of, of dots, colored dots, and starts to iterate them. And when, when the computer can see something that looks like something, if it sees something that looks like a face or a hand, it'll go in that direction. Uh, but one of these algorithms continually r returns something that looks like either a book cover or a DVD cover, like the one on the right. I mean, that looks like a poster. The one on the left, on the other hand, is is just fantastic. So we got fog in there. We got all kinds of things. Um, now let's see. Thirty-three is okay. So for the next one, I kept all these things. I'm happy with the direction it's going, and mostly I'm still just playing around. So let's take these images, and now let's add the word horror. Horror. Yeah, the one on the left is one of my three favorites. Uh, I, for the life of me, do not know how it came up with that image. I just don't. But boy, oh boy, oh boy. And, and the way it did the jack, 
Uh, fantastic. It's just fantastic. The one on the right is much more modern, kind of terrifies me in a modern way. It's like it's like trapped in a, in a uh, test tube or something. And you can see the one on the right is, I, I warned you, uh, GK Masters and Santa may not sleep for a week. Okay, you were warned. The one on the right has got more of those city elements in there, so I'm, I'm liking those city elements. So um, let's see what else we got here. So here's another one with the same parameters, I want to say. Yes, here's the same parameters. And again, one on the left is, is incredibly evocative. And the one on the right is just plain brutal. All right. Now, I've been able to refine all these things. The things that I liked, I kept in there. The things that I didn't like, I took out and tried to replace them with other things. But he's, 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 he's looking great, but I still don't have that sense of, of doom. So I added the word uh, death. Now, I have to tell you, one of these images coming up is, it's not graphic because it's not real, but it's it's disturbingly lifelike somebody with their face basically slashed off so um, this is all of the uh, parameters but with the operative word death added the one on the right you can see the grim reach grim reaper aspect of it uh, and that's just creepy and the clouds and the fog and yeah that's fantastic and don't forget you got victorian in there you know you got you got all kinds of things in there so next i decided to add the word I think this, no, never mind. I think this might be the same iteration. Why it, I don't, I, to be perfectly honest with you, I do not remember why it went so differently on me. I obviously added something or took something out. These are not the strongest images by far, but, but they're still, th this is kind of what I'm going for, kids. There's a Jack the Ripper in all of these images. There's a, there's a Jack the Ripper vibe in all, all of these uh, images, and um, and that's why it's so fascinating to me. All right, so um, I'm still not getting enough of the city, so I don't know if I had London in. Oops, here's another one. Sorry, with the same same parameters. Again, the one on the right, that weird cropping. I didn't do that. The the AI did that. It cut it in half, and and that's what it did. But just I mean, you can feel the, you can just feel the ripper coming out of it. And as I've said before, I don't, um, I don't crop them. So on the left, it decided to cut the top of Jack Ripper off, which is great. And dark, the something, I don't know what, but those are some of those word descriptions in there. All right. So now it's like, I got to get us, I got to get us on the streets of London. I have to figure out how to steer this AI to where I want it to go. And the way I'm steering it is by using, adding and subtracting specific adjectives and nouns. That's all it cares about. So I, I don't know if I took London out before, but in any event, I added London on this next one. And boy, that didn't do much on the right, but on the left, it got me, got me a version of London. And where the one on the right came from, I have not got the slightest idea at all, none. 
but that's what I got. So the next uh, two are also basically the same parameters with London and so on. I, yeah, some people are saying it could have added Whitechapel. Maybe. I just didn't know if it knew what Whitechapel was. And besides, modern Whitechapel looks nothing like uh, 1880s Whitechapel. So this is still with uh, London and and. And uh, here's another set of that iteration. The one on the right was the one I warned you about. That's the one that is probably the most graphic. It looks an awful lot like um, Saruman to me. And once again, the one on the left kind of went for that movie poster look. Right? It just looks like a movie poster. Um, so let me see. Okay, here's another one, uh, another two with the same. Yes, Saruman on the red. Uh, here's the here's uh, the two with the same. I'm not gonna same parameters, just another set of iterations. The one on the left is is I think it's just great, great expressionistic art for Jack the Ripper, especially when you know what Charles Lechmere looked like. I think that's just fantastic, and the one on the right is definitely getting London and blood and gore and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, Napoleon the Ripper. But it's, it's the, uh, by the way, one of the words I put in early was knife. And the second I put in the word knife, it showed me photographic reconstructions of pen knives. Everything else went away. And I think that's because of all of this stuff. The, the AI said, I know what a knife is. I know what a knife is. I know what a knife is. And I'm going to just do that. So I had to kind of come out a knife and I had to go with like blade or, or butcher or sword or something. Because when I went to knife, all of this interesting stuff went away and it just gave me photographic, you know, manglings of, of, uh, of, uh, of an actual photograph of a knife. Okay, so now I'm going to, now I'm going to, you'll start to see some big changes coming in fast now because now I'm starting to really get the hang of this. So this is not foggy enough, so I added the word heavy, heavy fog. So now let's add it heavy fog. Okay, it's definitely foggier. Don't think either one of those two are, you know, particularly good, but it's it's doing what I'm asking it to do. So 42, then I'm sorry, this next one, I decided to add the word blade, get something in there to get a sense of, of, of the knife and so on. It's looking for adjectives, mostly adjectives and nouns. So here's when I introduce the word blade. The one on the left is one of my three favorites, I think. The one on the, the one on the left is Jack the Ripper. That's that's Jack the Ripper. Is the dark outline of a shadow, and the blood and the fog and London and and yeah. The one on the left is as Jack the Ripper as it gets. The one on the right, you you finally got a knife in his hand, and he's you know kind of a little more modern looking. But I just really do like the one on the left a lot. All right, so now uh, let me see. Let's take the fog away. I think I took all the fog out for the next one. Just took it away. Brace yourselves. That's not the one I thought. Uh, maybe the one after that. So once I took all the atmospheric stuff, fog, clouds, all that stuff out, it, it, it cleaned up right away. It's not trying to do anything now. It's just, it's just doesn't have to blend in fog or any of that stuff. Now it's just kind of running loose. So for the next one, I said, I don't really like this. Let's put fog back in again. And when you put fog back in again, we get this. 
We've got some buildings in the background. It's kind of London-y. The one on the right looks like the crow to me. But it, they're all really, I think they're just really powerful images. Uh, so what do we do now? Well, I'm still not where I want to be. So I'm going to, I don't know if I added it before, but if I did, I'm, I'm going to bring it back in again and move it forward. So uh, here's, the, here's the thing with the addition of the word death. The one on the left is actually probably the, the least graphic of the images, but to me it's one of the most disturbing ones. Uh, and the one on the right is, well, we got, finally got the knife to happen. The one on the right is Jack Ripper, Frack Ripper, Jack Ripper, Jack the Ripper. They're both uh, pretty cool. Um, okay. And I think same parameters for this, this one here. Now it's starting to see uh, death. I'm starting to see that 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 death quality of it. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Now, it's the first time I'm doing this presentation, folks. I'll get better with practice. Uh, this next one is the same uh, parameters unchanged. Here's the uh, same parameters. And I'm not terribly fond of either of these, but I'm looking at this and I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm looking for that kind of specter thing. And then I realized, okay, maybe instead of death, maybe what I want is uh, is something a little more concrete. Let's um, let's add the word skull. Let's add skull to this because it's got a good skull on the left. Let's see what happens if we add skull. That's what happens when you add. Uh, skull. Yeah, that one on the left is that's a great image. In fact, what I found was when I added the word skull to this equation, uh, it it knows what a skull is, and so it didn't it it returned nothing but skulls. So everything, like I said, it, it, it's hard to figure out where this thing is going, which is why you have to kind of write yourself the image you want. I added skull, and I thought, okay, that would be great. But but since skull is tangible and things like death aren't, it just went looking for skull images. And frankly, I got 25 skulls. I didn't include any of the other ones because, you know, there it is. But, but once it had something to get its little claws on, then, then it just did a whole ton of skulls. So here we are again looking at this and I'm thinking, where, what happened to my London? Where's my London? And the buildings were kind of buildings, you know, they were just kind of buildings. I had Victorian in there, that probably helped. But then I thought, okay, let's make London, we, we want to make it London, we want to print London, we really want to say this is London, then let's go ahead and add Big Ben to the, to the mix. Did I say my three favorites? There's probably five favorites. Uh, the one on the left is one of my favorites because the, the Big Ben quality is so good. Uh, the one on the right is is not one of my favorites, but it's eerie. But if you look at the background, you can see that Gothic architecture there. Uh, so it's it's taken Big Ben, and, and you can see on the one on the left, it's still for some reason or another, still looks like it has trees in it. But, but when that tower comes out of there it's like oh man that's just 
that's just nuts. Here's another one with um, another iteration with the uh, same thing, adding Big Ben. The one on the left is Big Ben, all right. Um, and the, the rain of blood from the skies is okay. Um, all right. Uh, the one on the right is, again, just kind of a movie postery kind of thing. But now I think, I if I remember correctly, I'm finally getting to the point where I think I've got all the elements I want. So I did another iteration, added Gothic, and, and now I'm getting really, really close. So there's uh, there's Gothic. The one on the right has a a weird feeling of the actual photograph of Lechmere. I I took that out now. If the if the algorithm learned it and kept it, or it may just be a coincidence, but um, but there you go. That's got the one on the right looks enough like Lechmere to make it probably like the most compelling one uh, in terms of realism. Only just a couple to go here. Same parameters for this set. Didn't change anything, just did a reiteration of it. The one on the left now has really got the London I'm looking for, and the one on the right does too. Close together buildings that kind of spire, that vertical spire that's so, um, uh, you know, iconic for London. So I just, at this point, I just decided I'm pretty much on pay dirt here. Let's just keep on going. Um, so this next one, uh, I thought, great. I'm looking at the one on the left. I'm thinking, what I really, really want is I want a shadow. I want an outline of a shadow. I don't want a, I don't want that much fill light in the foreground. I want, I want a shadow. So I added the word shadow. Uh, I'm really glad that this machine is not sentient because I think if I'd drawn these, I think there'd be serious reason to have me seriously looked at. Uh, but I think it is actual art, and uh, it's the first time I've ever been involved with any actual art. So the next um, two are the same iteration, adding shadow, and, and I think I might have added outline. One on the right is one of my favorites, and the one on the left is just weird and cool. I think the one on the right is is one of my very favorites. I haven't really had these long enough to, to really kind of, you know, um, sort them out, but it's certainly a, a major contender. The, the one on the right, there's so much brutality in that face and so much, it's not even hatred, it's just lack of any kind of emotion. It's just a killing machine, you know? Um, and and that's basically kind of how I you know, saw Jack the Ripper here. Um, and I think I got one more along with these same same iterations. The one on the left, I have no doubt whatsoever that for whatever reason it took the Phantom of the Opera image of um, Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, it could be a coincidence, but I get the feeling because you got to remember, 
The computer doesn't see things. The computer doesn't know things. I'm giving it a word. It's going and searching the internet to find that, that keyword in, in, I don't know how many images, thousands, certainly, probably more. And then it, it finds something it likes. Let me rephrase that. I think it's got access to that stuff. And as it starts to refine these random shapes, it starts to form the basis of a face and just randomly. And then it goes looking for the images that are most like that. Because the one on the left looks very much like uh, the Lon Chaney uh, Jr. Uh, Phantom of the Opera. Okay, so um, the next one I think is just I, I, I pretty much pretty much where I want to be. So I got fog. I got London. I got more than one person on the right. I've got the. I mean, the one on the right is the right half of the one on the right. I didn't split it, but it looks like London burning or London hell, really, which is kind of appropriate because uh, one of the fake letters from Jack the Ripper. I think it was one of the fake ones that was signed from hell. So, uh, so let's just. I just kept hitting the button. Now, I took away the fog and everything for this one. I think I took away London, too. Um, and it gave me back these two images that are much more realistic. The one on the left, both of them reminded me of Heath Ledger's uh, Joker. The one on the left is particularly good if you really know the story because he mutilated the faces of, of his victims. And for reasons that are beyond my understanding, the color of the blood is bright orange on, on her hair, but much, much darker, almost a purple on his shirt. But that one on the left almost looks like a photograph of, of Jack the Ripper. That's the kind of face I would expect to see. Every, all these movies have made him out to be an aristocrat or a doctor, and he's in a top hat and a cloak and a cane. He, no, he was, a, he was a, 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 a cart driver. He was a truck driver, basically. And, and he was carrying... Uh, butchered meat around. So that's how he got away with it. People often said, in fact, one of the biggest questions was, how did he get away through the crowds or anybody at nighttime? He'd be covered in blood. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't people see it? And the reason they didn't see it was because this guy had been covered in blood, Lechmere, driving this meat wagon every night for 30 years. He's always covered in blood. He's there every night covered in blood on his apron. He's supposed to be covered in blood. That's how he got away with it. Uh, let's see. This next one, just for giggles, I decided to put back in all the fog and London and Victoria stuff, but take out Jack the Ripper. And I love both of these, the one on the left especially. I love them. I think they're fantastic. The trees are just, this is really great horror imagery. Two sets to go. Uh, and I think the, I don't think either one of them are the near, nearly the strongest. If I was to do this presentation professionally, I would cut them down and I'd get them in the order I wanted. But just for the last set of two, two of two, let's put Jack the Ripper back into this. One on the left is pretty gruesome. One on the right is kind of evocative too, because it looks like a butcher behind you. It looks like it looks like a victim in the foreground, you know, kind of a skull, and 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 then this guy who was in fact a kind of a butcher sneaking up behind you. And you can see on the one on the right that in the background, this this machine has got the fog and it's got London down. That's exactly what I was looking for. Was that that kind of a look for for London? And here is the very last one. 
Again, neither of those two are the strongest, except for the fact that on the one on the right, you can kind of see actual real human eyes peering out from that thing. The one on the left looks like, I don't know, looks like a love child between Sam Elliott and, um, and Ozzy. Hang on, I'm just gonna get a water, feast your eyes, we're all done. back. Uh, for those of you who um, who decided to advance to this timestamp, uh, good to see you. And um, I don't blame you one bit. Uh, there was an awful lot of stuff in there that was genuinely disturbing. Needless to say, I got about a third of the way through it with uh, Natasha and she just didn't want to say anymore. Uh, and she asked, why, are you, why, would you, why would you go in this direction? Just a legitimate question. Uh, I, um, I went in that direction because that particular image, that particular environment is very clear in my mind. The, the, the elements of it are clear in my mind. The, 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 the butcher apron, the cart man, the, the shadow, the fog, London, uh, uh, blood, the red, um, all that stuff. Thank you very much, uh, Kuda. It's very nice to meet you. Um, so, uh, that's why I wore my, uh, soothing, reassuring sky blue shirt today. Cause I didn't want anybody to think I'll bend out of shape. Um, it took an hour actually, almost. So that was, that was fun. So we're going to go right into the questions. Um, and, uh, and there you go. But I hope that was as interesting for you as it was for me. Uh, again, the app is called wonder. Uh, I don't know if it's available on, on uh, iOS or, or whatever, but it is available for iPhones. It, oh, I told you I would watch it. I, I told you I would show it work. So let's do this. Um, this time we'll do something not so scary. Excuse me while I put on my, um, my uh, AI creating spectacles here. How's the lip? It's fine. It's actually a little, it's, it's a little thicker than I thought. I think... Um, I don't know if this is going to go down or whether it's scar tissue. If it's scar tissue, he's going to sand it down a little bit. Just get a power sander on that, and we'll take that right down. So, um, so here's the app called Wonder. And I'll just do it from scratch here. So um, it says, uh, come on now. It says, enter prompt. So I had Fire Diamond there for Natasha. Um, when you, so I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's take the first five nouns and adjectives that appear in the comment section and you only get to enter one each. I'm just gonna take the first five in the order that they come. Nouns or adjectives only. Ping, 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 so right about now. Okay, gun. Guts, hot, bikini, and gleaming. Uh, 
that is a fairly eclectic uh, uh, choice. So I've entered those words into the app, and now I have a choice of picking either realistic or abstract. If you go with abstract, they've given, they've given them names. I know it's hard to see on the screen, but basically what they've done is they've given these different algorithms names because they'll interpret... Does it help if I do that? Yeah. They'll interpret... That's the direction that the AI is going to go, in the direction of these particular styles. If you go back to realistic, which I prefer, you get uh, some of these choices. There's like a steampunk one and so on. But personally, for me, I always go with hyper-realistic. I, I just want it to take uh, pictures. All right, so I've entered gun, guts, hot, bikini, and gleaming. I've gone with a hyper-realistic setting. You know what? Let me just turn these off just for a second because it's kind of cool to watch. I'll, I'll, I'll iterate this three times and then we'll call it a day because these are not so bad as, uh, as all the Jack the Ripper stuff. All right, here we go. Ready? So uh, still a little overexposed, but that's you, you get the idea. So let's go ahead and create. So in queue, it's sending the data. Now, those sparkly things are just random blocks of color and the computer is iterating it down. It's trying to find an image out of that. I said there would be no nudity on the show and apparently I was wrong. Uh, it doesn't like, there is actually no real nudity here, it doesn't like faces or bodies because it's putting it together and it really, really doesn't like it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove the word bikini. So now we got gun, guts, hot, and gleaming because it went to bikini and and all it knew was bikini. It just did it. So I've taken out bikini. We got gun, guts, hot, and gleaming now. Done. Create. Those are all slightly different and it's trying to make sense out of images. And as it starts to refine it, it's looking for something that looks like that. And then you get them up. So there's one. None of those particularly good, but that's kind of how this thing works. So just to show you the process, let's, let's say, what, what are we really missing there? Well, I don't think it knows what gleaming is. And I, and I don't think it knows what hot is in terms of like sexy. So let's, we got guns and guts. Let's add, um, let's add red and let's add, uh, no, actually it's probably going to be, I don't know why I have a tendency for this. Let's add the word meat. Gun, guts, gun, guts, red, meat. Okay, again, it's like, okay, so it knows what meat is. What happened to my, what happened to gun? Where did it go? I didn't like any of those things. Oh, it says something went wrong. Try again. So let's do this. Let's take out the word red. Gun, guts. 
right, let's just try gun guts and, and meat. Not impressed. That just looks like screwed up steak. So now, I, I oh, it also didn't like it. It kind of it kind of bugged out. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep two of those words. I'm going to keep gun and meat, but I'm going to change the order, and I'm going to ask it to draw me a meat gun. Because a meat gun is something it can figure out. Instead of gun and meat, this is meat gun. I'm sorry about the overexposure, but whatever. Eek. Not much impressed with this either, to be honest with you. So this is kind of where I started. It's too literal. Um, now, last thing I'll show you, because I keep saying last thing I'll show you, but the last thing I'll show you is, hang on a second. I will show you what one of the stylized versions does. So we're going to use those same words again. We're going to type in meat. gun and this time instead of in realistic we're going to go to abstract and under abstract let's try the van gogh there's a van gogh algorithm so this is the computer trying to paint a meat gun the way that van gogh would do it it only does one for the um for the abstract ones And there's Van Gogh's meat gun. Um, let's uh, keep the same words. Try a different uh, different algorithm here. This one's kind of spooky. It's a charcoal kind of thing. You can see how it works. It's just basically, it's basically playing things and then it's and then it's trying to find an image and then kind of crystallize that image okay that's not so impressive uh we'll do two more and then we will move on to the questions um yeah this one th this one called charles it's you can see it's pretty kind of geigery or Giger, I think it's H.R. Giger, actually. Yeah, that's definitely Giger at work. There's uh, Giger's meat gun, ladies and gentlemen. And the final one.
I'll go back to realistic and I'll, I think there's a, there's a steampunk version, okay? Steampunk meat gun. see much meat there although that definitely looks like a steampunk gun oh that's a steampunk meat gun that's fairly horrible <sighs> yeah by the way looking at this image I watched all of them on the monitor looking at the image they're much much better because they're so much more realistic and sharp the the, the monitor the glowing screen and the webcam and stuff really degrades the image. But nevertheless, there you go. So um, the closing thought on this is the same as the opening thought, and that is that this is going to become more and more uh, popular. I don't, I, I don't have the, this is the iPhone 10. Um, this kind of thing is going to happen and be more and more popular. And what that means is, is that at least for at least for some segment of the uh, of the art market, since I didn't draw this at all, but I did, uh, what it's going to come down to is your best artists are going to be writers, because it's obviously trial and error, and you can keep the same constants iterated a thousand times, and it'll all be different. It, you're going to be able to write yourself into really good art because you can, if you're if you're a good enough writer. Um, here's uh, here's one online. Thank you, Marusha. I'm going to open that link and then I'll get to it later. Um, so it's kind of a you know I don't want to say like a game changer, um, but it does open doorways. I think of the, all the images I showed you, I think there are at least five and probably a solid 10 that I could sell as t-shirts to the uh, goth market. I really genuinely mean it. I think they look really, really good. And um, and I'm, I'm gonna give that a try. And I know nothing about this whole NFT thing, but it also seems to me like it's an appropriate thing for the NFT because it is irreproducible. I could not recreate any of those images if I wanted to. Even if I had the exact word string, it wouldn't matter. It would never, ever, ever come out the same, ever, or even close to the same. I've, every time I've hit reiterate, it's been astonishingly different. Okay, enough about that. Let's get to uh, let's get to going. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed doing it. I thought it was really fun and, and kind of cool. And I showed it to Natasha just a couple hours ago three, four hours ago, and um, I don't think she's done anything since then. She said she'd be watching the show, but I know she's not. I know she's working on this thing. And by the way, uh, oh, by the way, hi, honey. Uh, Natasha puts in words like um, rose, uh, wings, angel, and I'm adding like scream, skull, blood, more blood. It's viva, viva la difference, that's what I have to say. I don't know what that means, but, you know, viva it anyway. Okay, let's go to Billwiddle.com because even though um, Facebook has been neglected more than Billwiddle.com, comes a point when you have to say, you know, 
some people am paying for things. So let's see what that gets us. Come on, log me in, Sonny. Now we got to do something about this. This is ridiculous. Let me refresh the page. actually embarrassing it might be a server problem because it's been slow but it's never been like like this slow I mean it's just spinning oh there we go hello Bill Little I'm gonna do something about that uh, members forum writers forum is doing real well everybody's having a good time in there that's cool too strategy launch questions and more I'm gonna try and zip through these uh, uh, 811 I'm sorry to say that over the course of stress free lunch this just I said of mine's just gotten worse so um, I usually keep them off not because it, I, I think they look good frankly but it's the reflection. Uh, so I think I'm going to, you know what, I don't know what I'll do. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to give the game away. I'll just enlarge the screen. Pretty soon I'll be on that one where the whole enormous wide screen is just one word. We use the extra large type for us, uh, for those of us who are senior citizens. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm going to have to re kind of configure things here to get those chat windows up. Okay. You can do that. And then you can, I'm sorry about this. Let me do this. And you can go all the way. And you can stay here, and you can come over here. My day is complete. All right, here we go. Uh, capital letters would have probably been easier to shout uh, so, that I, so I can hear you. So the first question we have here is from Henry Lundley, who once again, thank you, Henry, for curating this thing. I'm very grateful. We all are, all of us. Here's what we have to say. Uh, I mentioned during the live stream last week about a question Rodney Rowe was asking. To sum up, he was asking for you to set up a live streaming camera that shows the inside of the sausage factory so the audience can see you work during the day with live chat and super chats going during your workday. I think you might find the live chat distracting, but then again, having people watch you work sometimes does wonders for procrastination. I hate procrastinators, really. I just, I will not tolerate it anywhere in uh, in the building. Uh, 
that's a great suggestion. You know, you don't really know what kind of weird ticks or, 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 you know, prosecutable behaviors you have until somebody's watching you 24-7. Uh, I, I, I have had some serious thought about, um, about switching to uh, Facebook Live because I think that will actually, I've heard that there's a whole discussion needs to be had about that, which I haven't had yet. But I have heard that um, that live streaming is like the, the thing now that they really like that. And, <clears throat> you know, there's a world where I could do a live stream show a couple times a week, I suppose. Um, uh, and, one, you know, the th and there's another part of the question. Um, and and the, the thing of it is, is that the... Um, the, inter the internet is changing. The, the, the way content is delivered is changing rapidly. And um, I'm just looking and I'm seeing, uh, you know, Gary at Nerdrotic and, and Doomcock and Drinker, all three of those guys doing much more live streaming than they used to. And I suppose they know that it's really helping their algorithm because it's the algorithm that makes me so very, very angry. Um, so, uh, definitely a, an interesting idea. I don't know if watching me work is the answer, but, you know, having a, having a lunch kind of a, kind of a thing. Because uh, watching me work is like watching me sleep, honestly. And it's, you know, I know it's exciting, but it's not, you know, I wouldn't call it riveting TV. Uh... Okay, uh, let's see the second part. Um, same same question from dear old Henry. Uh, if you, I don't know how old he is, doesn't strike me as particularly old. Uh, if you look at Tim Pool's Chicken City live stream, it streams their chicken coop every day, and when people super chat, it drops treats for the chickens. When the super chat counter hits $100, it sets off a chicken party, and you need to look one of those up. That sounds fantastic. Um, also see another example with Tim Pool's Pop Culture Crisis. They do the same throughout the show, but with humans, the Super Chats set off money guns, and when it hits the target, a huge music and light show goes off. Before you laugh at that, you should know they make thousands every day on that silly gimmick. I didn't say it was a silly gimmick. I think it's awesome. Uh, I will immediately investigate that silly gimmick. In fact, this is so important that I'm going to defy standing orders that have been issued to me by my superiors, and that is not to have anything in my hands at any time because I will play with it, and I don't hear it, but you do. But I will look out at uh, Tim Pool. I knew I really liked uh, Doomcock uh, when um, I should have phrased that differently because a good editor could have fun with that line. I know I really loved Overlord DVD um, when uh, I saw his live stream show, and the very first thing I ever heard him do on the live stream was uh, sing the theme song for Super Chicken, which I think he knows and I know, and I think maybe one other person can do that from memory. Those were fun, by the way. Um, that particular cartoon set was not memorable in any way. The animation was not good, and it wasn't particularly great storytelling, but... Super Chicken, Tom Slick, and Georgia the Jungle each had really, really cool 
opening themes. And I'm sure it's done by the same group of people, probably called the original artists. Uh, but yeah, uh, Super Chicken, Tom Slick, and uh, Georgia, Georgia the Jungle is a classic. Um, I will check that out. And thank you, Henry. Thank you for the suggestion. G.K. Masterson. Hello, G.K. Good to see you. Uh, one, remember we have a conference call scheduled for... Okay. okay. Um, two, how much do you know about Sad Puppies and Gamergate? Those were the first two major attempts to push back on woke culture. Gamergate was moderately successful, but the sad puppies, including myself, got slandered hard as neo-Nazis. Have you ever considered reaching out to major players in those arenas to help fight back against the woke takeover of entertainment? I'm talking about people like Larry Correa, sorry, Sarah Hoyt, Brad Torgerson, Tony Weisskopf, and other non-aligned but puppy-adjacent authors who are trying to keep their heads down like Jim Butcher. Uh, also, what's your favorite color? Uh, my favorite color is uh, gray. Uh, and blue, blue and silver, yeah, like a really strong electric blue, cobalt blue and and silver. But I love if I, you know, if I could, if I had to dress in a color like Hillary Clinton, like one color, it would be great. Uh, but blue is my favorite color because gray is not a color; it's a gradation on an absence of color. Learned something today, didn't you? Um, Okay, uh, so yes, uh, and right now uh, I've been it's been been a little little nutty, but I am putting things in place to approach. I've already spoken to uh, Overlord about this idea, crowdfunding idea, and he sent me back a second email and said, "Hey, sounds exciting." Weren't you supposed to send me something? I said, yes, I was, but I've been a little bit out of it. So to answer your question, yes, I will be going hard at all of those people. I need, I need, the, I did, I need tools to get to the stuff I get to to get to the crowdsourcing. I need to have a couple things that I can show people who are inside the circle so that they know that they could back this crowdfunding idea and have it be something that wouldn't embarrass them. Um, this idea of deep faking uh, CG characters in the CG universe is the is the is the missing link. Uh, my only concern about this is I don't think it would work. If you had a character inside a helmet and you deep fake the face on that character, the deep fake would read the face, but the deep fake is applied on top. It's like it's glued onto the top of the layers of the image. I don't think it could do inside the visor. Maybe it could. If not, we'll figure out a workaround, maybe some kind of moving texture map or something. But in any event, um, Yes, those those people are are all people I want to uh, talk to. Um, I don't know any of them except for Sarah Hoyt, who I only know through Steve Green. She's linked a number of uh, my videos on Instapundit and been extremely gracious about all of them. So, uh, so definitely we definitely can get in there, and that's an easier sell because it's science fiction and it's and it's really you know hard science fiction. Um, I won't talk about it now because we're so late, but I did talk with somebody a couple nights ago about the five animations that I need, one for each one of these five storylines. 
and talking it out got me into a lot of detail about things and um and so i'm i'm pretty much ready to write those scripts uh last thing on the science fiction author's front one of the things i'm trying to put together and one of the things that i'm going to consider hard as a selling point on this is really the realism and by the realism i mean the little details of the realism um things like the air traffic control conversations Science fiction, since you mentioned it in the question, um, essentially is the ability to take our current society and all of our current norms and project them into the future. Some science fiction writers are good enough to, to try to work out what the norms will be, but I'm not that good. Um, and besides, that's not what I want to do. I, actually, I want to take norms from the past and move them into the future. That's, that's the entire goal. But it's the details. So things like the air traffic control conversation is a detail, but there's a level of detail below that. And this is the level I'm living on now. Um, if you look online for, uh, for After Effects templates, uh, a template is the kind of thing that allowed me to do the ink drop opening on the animation or the ending of the billwiddle.com or the right angles, all that stuff. They're just After Effects templates. After Effects is essentially Photoshop in motion. And you basically buy the template and it's like, you know, and people have been commenting on liking the hair. Thank you. I kind of do too. It's kind of a, you know, kind of a, like a little less formal look. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking I might, I'm thinking I might head this direction. Um, but if you look up uh, templates, you'll end up with a place called Envato, I want to say. Video Hive Envato, I think is the name of the company. And they've got several thousand of these things. And, and they've got several, they've got at least 60 or 70 different versions from different people on HUDs. So HUD, for those of you not in the know, stands for Heads Up Display and uh, was first developed for fighter pilots because, you know, if you've got to keep your eyes on the bad guy and if you're constantly looking down to read your instruments, that's not good. So they projected the partially reflective glass and you look through the glass and that's why you see on all these fighter cockpit displays, you see the, you know, the, the watermark line and there's a speed tape and an altitude tape and so on. That is, um, uh, that is a, uh, um, a HUD. Eric wants to know what happened to the audio in the last two right angles. Uh, the audio recorded perfectly. It's just that it recorded off of that microphone over there. That one. That's the mic I had switched when I did the, uh, the switch to when I did the um, right angles this week. And I checked it three times. Uh, and every time I looked down there and said, Scarlet USB, right? Yep, that's it, Scarlet USB. Uh, and that is the Scarlet USB. This is the Rode NT Podcaster, and I did not have it selected. So Mark went to extraordinary heroic lengths to get the best he could out of that. And I need to get a new mic anyway. People have been complaining about the sound here. It turned off the drives, got a lot quieter here. Quieter here, that's good. Um, in fact, one of the reasons it's so quiet now is because the um, air conditioning's off. It's actually probably the, the best quietest I've ever heard in the studio. It's not a great place to record. Um, but anyway, back to the HUDs. Um, so when you see these HUDs, there are scores of templates for the HUDs. And you've all seen science fiction HUDs. And science fiction HUDs are where you'll see something and they'll be like, ooh, circles like, ooh, ooh, ooh around the outside, you know, and then, and then endless streams of numbers. 
and then little dials go, and all of this stuff going. My friend, um, my friend Brent Regan, who helped design uh, electronic flight displays, uh, and whose father has hardware on the moon because he built the, I think it was the radio receivers or transmitters for the lunar module. So, although, although they were on the ascent stage, well, they're on the moon. They're just in a bunch of pieces. Um, Brent had a term I'd never heard before, because when I was in doing the flying experimental aviation, you would have all kinds of displays for um, for experimental airplanes. And they're put together by individual companies, small companies, right? And he talked about the clutter, that there was so much information on that, and he referred to it as a cocktail party. And I thought, man, that is the perfect description of this. He, he, you would we'd look at one of these displays at Oshkosh and he'd said, how can anybody tell anything about what's going on in the middle of this cocktail party? Well, these science fiction HUDs are like the ultimate cocktail party. They actually think that the more flashing stuff there is, you got graphs that are moving in real time over here, you know, and there's a radar thing going on here and everything's really tiny and you'll see, and then the things, you know, trying to lock the thing in and all these circles, it's garbage. It's just garbage. And I can't, there's only one HUD I could find, one, one After Effects um, HUD that I could find that was just simple gauges. Uh, John Pershing says too much information is useless. It's, it's, it's actually worse than useless. It takes, takes you away from looking out the window. So I've been searching the world trying to find realistic After Effects flight displays, and I don't think I'm going to be able to find them. And I think what I'm going to have to do, it's not a big deal, is I think I'm going to have to go into DCS or Flight Simulator and basically send the output of one of these things, just get it flat on the monitor and just plain record off the screen. Um, because, uh, because I don't want these guys looking at, at, you know, cocktail party HUDs. I want them looking at something that looks real. And, and on the other end of that, so on one end they add all of this complexity to something that doesn't need to be that complex on the HUD. The other side of that is they make other displays absurdly simplistic. And uh, a great example of that is, is the radar or the targeting radar. You look at the, uh, any, any show you've ever seen, any movie you've ever seen really, I, I don't know if The Last Maverick did it, but I, I kind of think they did. You'll see a, you know, you'll see like a, a crosshairs and be you'll see a little picture of the, uh, you know, it's like, okay, come on, you know? So I want authentic, flight displays in those cockpits. I want real flight displays so that anybody who knows anything can look at them and say, hmm, this looks real. And now we come back to the thing I've talked about so many times before, which is the ring of truth. Why, why the jargon in Crimson Tide is what makes Crimson, Crimson Tide work. You know, on the 1MC, spin up tubes one, uh, two through, or 8 through 24 or whatever. What does that mean? It doesn't matter what it means. I believe that that guy knows what it means and it sounds real. And every time these guys try to sound real, it's just terrible. I didn't watch any of um, For All Mankind because I value my sanity. I saw clips of it. I'd see like three, four minute clip of, uh, you know, of um, this scene or that scene. And I saw one just the other day and it's like they're about to launch the, the like the first nuclear-powered space shuttle. That was cool. They call it Nerva. That was cool. And they're chatting in there like, ah, it's time to light this rocket kind of thing. 
you know, and 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 he says something kind of gung ho like that that I've never heard a pilot say. And then uh, this crew member, this woman in the back seat, goes, "Roger that." And I said, "Never heard anybody say that either, or certainly never heard him say it that way." I shouldn't be telling tales out of school about my genuinely good friend Jeremy Bourne, who is I admire beyond words. But I took him flying once in the long easy, or maybe it was in the sky arrow. And uh, I said, um, you ready to go? Headsets were all fired up, getting ready to taxi. Ready to, ready to go? And he said, roger that. And I said, don't ever say that again in this airplane. We don't say that. I don't say that. I don't know anybody who is. Uh, so when, when people say, uh, roger that, I will just say acknowledged, or I'll say affirmative. If it's affirmative, negative is a good answer. Roger is, was the phonetic word for R. And Roger means, technically means, I have received and understood your transmission. Roger. I have, it doesn't mean yes. And this is the kind of detail I'm talking about getting right. Yeah. Uh, you'll hear it every single time, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and these nonsense, you know, ridiculous call signs, you know, like, you know, Iron Lance 1, you know, uh, uh, are you on my six? And he'll say, Roger. And I say, Roger doesn't mean affirmative. Roger means I heard you. So are you on a six? Affirmative. Negative. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, Tiki Rocket basically gets it. For all mankind was a bizarre premise, quote, if only the U.S. had had women astronauts, we could have beaten the Soviets to the moon, but we did beat the Soviets. Now that's exactly right. And, and, you know, and, and I know the, the nature of the show to wander, so it is what it is. And I saw that show, and, that's, and I just said, no, I don't, I, I don't believe it. It's not that I don't believe, and this is so important. I can't tell you how important this is, to me anyway, that people understand this about me, okay? When I see a show that has two-thirds of the controllers as women, I don't believe it. That's not to say that I don't believe that women can be controllers. They can be. They can be excellent controllers, and they can also be awful controllers, and we can look at Columbia for that one. But where I lose immersion, where, where I get out of the movie, is when I see two-thirds or half of the people doing it. What would not take me out of it would be if it was the actual number or something close to the actual number. One out of 20. Three out of 20. Jordan Peterson has a great little segment on this, just a very, very quick little thing, but he's basically saying, look, people were, it was, once again, he was running up against the, oh, by the way, he's moved to, to Daily Wire. The, the Daily Wire vortex continues to, to bring in top talent, and God bless him. Uh, I am about to pitch two more historical uh, series to those guys. Um, but uh, Jordan Peterson says, you know, he was dealing with somebody. So how do you explain the fact that men make so much more than women? Or what? No, that wasn't that one. It was, why is it, do you think, that there are so many more men engineers than women engineers? It's got to be systemic sexism. And, and he, as usual, went right to the point. You know, he said, certainly for the last 30 years, there has been no coercion and certainly no obstruction. Not only have women not been barred from engineering uh, school, 
but they've been recruited so aggressively that people who want to be in engineering school are turned away because they feel like they need to get these, these numbers up. He said, you look in the world where there's no corrosion, corrosion, or that's that too, no coercion, he said you will find that 95% of the free people making free choices about their own lives, 95% of the engineers will be male and 95% of the nurses will be female and no one is sending them to those occupations. That's what they want to do and that's what they do in a free society. And that's why I have such a problem with this woke smashing it over your head thing. I'm not saying that there can't be good female pilots. I'm not saying that there, that there can't be good female controls. I'm not saying there can't be good female soldiers. I happen to know a couple. I know a couple. I know a, I know a person who flies helicopters in combat. Woman does a fantastic job. But they're not half and they're not a quarter and they're not 10%. They are unusual. And another thing, they don't look and talk like models. They look and talk like soldiers, engineers, pilots. Many of them are extremely attractive, but they're not, I'm, I'm not supposed to believe, you know, this, this stuff. And I, there, I saw one scene from this where this woman's got a bad kind of, you know, West Virginia accent, or maybe it's a Texas accent. She's trying to do that pilot thing, you know, that, that kind of that draw that the pilots have. And, and, and she says, you have two choices. You can either, you know, piss up a tree or, 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 or get out of my control room or something like, you know, it's a I don't believe you. I don't. So anyway, there you go. Yes, Marisha says it will be, the left says it's because they're not represented enough on screen. So if we put more women on screen, if we show you a show where every single space program has 50% engineers are women, then magically engineering schools will be filled with 50% women. And it doesn't work that way. It works the other way. This is why I fight these people because everything they do and say and believe and try to make us do and say and believe is based on a lie. It's just a lie. It's not true. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I, I want everything to be just nails, you know, nails. Um, somebody's going to have to help me out in the comment section here. Uh, last thing on the science section thing, and then we will continue on to the next question. Uh, I talked, I think, last week about this planet where the homesteaders are, highly elliptical orbit around a brighter star, F-type star. So I had to check and see, are there any F-stars within 30 light years? Turns out, yes, there are. I think there's three, I think. Maybe more. Procyon's one of them. Sirius is A. So that's even hotter. So the candidates are there. And then I wanted, uh, a, a, I wanted, a I, I wanted to come up with a name for this thing. And I wanted a term that that sort of represented the extreme cold and the extreme hot. And coincidentally, I was reading a book on Viking mythology, and uh, the Vikings called the North Wind Boreas. And that's not a bad name. And, and immediately, that little part of my brain that goes for realism says, if the planet's name is Boreas, then everybody that lives there is going to call it Boring Ass. That's what they're going to call this place, right? At least out there on the frontier. So I like that a lot. There is, and here's where the hive mind's going to kick in. There's a realm to the north, which is frozen, where the giants live. There's a realm to the south, which is on fire. And in between the two is an enormous chasm called Gigigigap. Gigumgigap, something like that. 
And I'll get the exact word here in just a moment because my audience knows what the hell they're doing. And I thought that'd be the great name for this planet is to call it Gigigigumdigap. And I can't remember the name and I can't pronounce it, which means that they won't be able to either. So they'll call it Giddy Gap or, or Guppy Gap or, or just Gap uh, or The Gap. Um, welcome to The Gap. They won't say and come in. There it is. Gap. They won't say they won't say welcome to Gananga Gap because Gananga Gap is a damn difficult thing to say for people who speak English. They'll say welcome to to Gunny Gap or Gap or Gap or Gumby Gap. Yeah, Gumby Gap. That's good. I like Gumby Gap, astronaut. That's great. Welcome to Gumby Gap. And and this is also realism. It's realistic because the guys on the survey ship would say, "Ooh, a land of fire and ice." What would be appropriate for this? I know. Let's go to mythology. Ooh, ooh, the Vikings have a, a, a planet that, that, a place that lives between extreme cold and extreme hot, just like this planet. And it's called, uh, Genung, I, I, I still can't remember. It's called Ganunga Gap. Let's name it Ganunga Gap. And so they enter Ganunga Gap into the official records and welcome. This is the planet, third planet is Ganunga Gap. And the people who get off of the landers and look at the sign and they say, the sign says, welcome to Gumby Gap because real people can't pronounce Ganunga Gap. They don't have the time. Um, so welcome to, welcome. How long have you been in the Gap? And I know there's a store called the Gap because I used to shop there, but I don't think they can, they haven't, they can't copyright the word Gap. It's possible that they could have trademarked welcome to the Gap because I know that was a, a slogan of theirs, but they can pound sand, I don't care. How long you been on the Gap? By the way, on this planet, Ganunga Gap, Gumpy Gap, whatever, the Gap, I wanted, I thought, what, what could I do to make this really feel like an alien planet? What could I do that I've never seen before? And you know what I came up with? You know what kind of train I came up with that I could say I've never seen this before? One whole side of this planet is going to be, and I may refer to this as the gap. I may name the planet Boreas or something else and refer to this area, but an area that's about half the size of this planet is going to be absolutely featureless. They're not gonna be any rocks, just gonna be gonna be like sand, hard packed sand, and there's not gonna be any boulders and there's not gonna be any hills, there's not gonna be any rivers. You can drive in one direction for 15 hours and it doesn't look any different than it did 15 hours ago. And I'm going to have a little tiny little scene because once you get these things, little pieces of dialogue and in, in, in acting class, we would call it business. It would be some business, right? A little, you know, when, when, oh, what's her name? Amidala is, is uh, packing her bags when what's his name comes in. She's at least instead of having to stand there and look at him, you know, uh, or sit there, she's packing bags. She's got some business. It's something for her to do. So um, I thought, okay, this is just how my mind works as a writer. So if I've got a, a, and they have to cross this thing in a rover, they don't live there, but they have to cross it. They have to cross this thing in a rover. First of all, they're not gonna wanna do it. Secondly, it's going to be something that they expect they can handle, but when they get out there and day after day after day goes by, they're gonna start to lose their minds. There's many stories about German soldiers who, who during the invasion of the Soviet Union, 
got out on these open steps and they simply lost their mind because they'd be traveling for seven days, 10 days, 15, and nothing's changed. They really start going nuts. But I thought what I would do is I'd have them out there. And, and by the way, if there's a tiny little weather station or a colony or one person out there doing some weird thing or something, they will go out of their way to stop and say hi, be neighborly. But I had this idea, they'd be traveling for four or five days. And by the way, I've, I've done this, I've loaded it up in um, Space Engine. And if you, if you look, if you were on a horizon, wow, somebody just gave me a big data dump there. Um, if, you, if you look at a world that has no features, no terrain, no, no uh, uh, topographic, nothing, it is freaking horrifying. It is just terrifying. Really, really nasty. Um, so uh, I thought I loved it. And I thought, okay, great. So they got this place that, where there are no hills. And then I thought, okay, so what about if they're on like day four or something, day five, they're starting to lose their mind. And, and, and there's a little bit of the horizon looks slightly, slightly irregular. Just slightly. Well, it's in the same general direction. Let's drive our little chariot over there and they find out that there's a, a hill that's maybe a hundred yards wide and maybe four feet five feet above the surface just barely detectable so they're going to walk <laughs> road rider 58 said bakersfield absolutely man i've been to bakersfield many times that's exactly what it is um, and so there's just this, it's not a, it's not even a hill. You can't even call it a hill. It's just a, a slightly detectable, minuscule race, and it's the only one. So yes, so Edward Smith beat me to it. They, they, they drive over there and they call it Mount something. And they get out of their rover because they need to stretch their legs. And they get on the top and I'm, now, now I'm, now, now the writing machine is working. Okay, that's good. That's a good scene. They're going to, they're going to see this barely perceptible rise. They're going to go over there. They're going to christen it. They're going to name it Mount something, Mount whatever the name of their family is. What, is there anything else I can add to this? Yes. Okay, that's funny. And that's, uh, that's cool. And who would do it? Dad would do it. This is, this is a dad, this is a dad joke. So uh, they, they found this mount, whatever, and they're walking around it and kind of laughing at, you know, so they don't cry at how horrible and barren things are out there. And dad comes out with a spare uh, aluminum pole and, um, and he's, he, and he's, and he's starts hammering it into the ground and he's got, he's attached some kind of flag, but he's purposely like, you know, clutching it so nobody can see what it is. And he's, he knocks this thing into the ground there, and then he stands back, and there's a tiny little breeze, and it, it's basically his underwear. It's, it's one of his briefs just flapping in the wind. That's the flag. And, uh, you know, salute, salute the flag, and then they get in the rover and they drive off. That's science fiction to me. Okay, moving on. Uh, hey, look, it's Henry Lumley. Um, China's Ghost Cities. Uh, Jeremy called me and said that that moving back to America really shook him. I, I, I didn't think it was particularly special, special but here we go. Uh, hey, Bill, your moving back to America about China was great. So I was thinking about the fragility of the Chinese domestic economy and how much is being held up in those ghost cities. If mysteriously those ghost cities were to start collapsing, considering their shoddy construction, I cannot imagine that it would take much. What would that do to the Chinese economy internally 
And would that be enough of a hit to drive a revolution inside China? It seems incredible that the Chinese, that the local Chinese still believe that those buildings will never ever be finished or that someone will actually buy those worthless death traps. So let me see if I can um, mount brown boxers exactly. Yeah, let's run it up the flagpole and see who salutes. That's what dad says. Yeah, just just a pair of and and then of course there's the there's the great shot right you just you know there's the rover it's just heading off it's just turning into a speck in the distance a little tiny little dolly motion here and rover's getting further further away and and a little bit of dolly motion and then the flagpole comes into place and there's the there's the pair of shorts just kind of flapping slightly in the wind as they head over the horizon fade to black um, so back to this question. Uh, if they were to start collapsing, um, I don't think I don't think they have to collapse, Henry. I don't. I, I'm convinced that they're never going to be finished, and I think that was the plan. But in any event, I found a pic of what I was describing. I don't even know what I was describing. What was I describing? Oh, yeah, beneath Antarctica. Thank you. Uh, wants me to do ad blocker. I'll check it later. But yes, there's a. It, it's it's a picture of Antarctica. Sure, fantastic. Thank you. I'll I'll use that uh, later as a uh, as a um, inspiration. Uh, so to get to get to the rest of the question, um, even if they don't collapse, it doesn't matter. They collapse, they collapse. I, I thought you were gonna um, go with the with the if they collapse, with the rebuilding of them or the demolishing of them restart the economy, but that's the broken windows fallacy, which for those of you who don't know, uh, liberals fall to very frequently. The idea that, hey, if we went and smashed all the windows in the city block, think about how much extra work there would be for people who fit windows and for glass manufacturers. If we smash things up, then you have to pay to get them replaced and you have to work to get them replaced. And so the best way to stimulate the economy is to go smash things. It's called the broken windows fallacy. And while it is true that if you smash all the windows in, a, in, a, in an area, you will have to replace those windows. Well, presumably you don't live in Los Angeles, but in, uh, in, in civilized areas, you would replace those broken windows. And yes, that would cause people to have jobs and in, in manufacture windows, but the fallacy is it's not like those factories or those people would have been sitting idle otherwise. They would have been putting glass into new buildings and they will be taken away from that to sink them into this you can never get rich off of destroying things, is what I'm trying to say. Um, anyway, would it be enough to drive a revolution inside China? Uh, this is the part of the equation that I think is really important. Um, and that is, what would it take to drive a revolution inside China? They are far, 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 far more oppressed than we are. And more importantly, they're used to it. This is the thing. It's not, I almost said this is the thing that scares me. It's, it's not. There is a, I forget the exact line, but uh, there's a very strange movie that I like very much called The, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Ethan Brothers, and they're the brilliant filmmakers, just brilliant. And, in, and by the way, that's a fascinating movie because it takes, I think, six or seven short films about the West, and each time you move, they become more and more kind of realistic. One of the very last ones is about uh, this this guy, and there's a young girl who she's hiding in a, like a hole because there's an entire you know gang of Indians coming, 20, 25 Indians coming. This guy's got his saddle, he's got a rifle, 
there are moles out there, so some of those some of those are gonna are gonna break the, the legs of the horses, but they attack and he drives them off, and then he can see them gathering, getting to re getting ready to come, and they start charging, and he has a line that is something like, "This uh, the next few minutes ought to tell the tale." I thought that's a great line. Next few minutes ought to tell the tale. Um, as far as the future of this country is concerned, the next few years are going to tell the tale, I think, because we are in a race against time. And the race is, the thing to fear are people who grew up with this as the new normal uh, because they won't know any better. This is why I'm so disturbed about the fact that young people don't drive. It's not because I want more traffic on the streets in LA. It's because driving is, a, especially for young men uh, or boys really, is, um, is an incredibly liberating, independent kind of thing. Where are you going? I don't know. It's me and my buddies were going to drive across. I told you before, I was at the Miami Planetarium. I was 17, I guess. My friends were 17 and 18. Opened up a new observatory in Arizona. We're working on top of the Museum of Science, trying to point out stars with all of the lights of Miami there in the background. Not so effective. They just opened up the Kitt Peak Observatory in Arizona. We said, well, that looks really cool. And then one of us said, we should go check it out. And then I said, yeah, that'd be really great. We should check it out. And it turns out we said, well, why don't we just go check it out? So we did. Three days later or whatever, we just got in the car and drove out from Florida to Arizona, round the clock, one guy driving, one guy talking to the driver, and one guy sleeping in the back seat. And 17, something like that. Um, and... Uh, Marisha says I've, she's noticed that people who fear self-driving ca cars tend to be people who are rarely ever passengers. That's actually an interesting example of what I'm talking about, about the clock running. Because it's crystal clear to me that, that in the very near future, this will be a thing, and I have no doubt that uh, in the not too distant future, there will be a major effort to eliminate the ability to drive your own car because of, because of the danger of it. Uh, and so there's going to be a generation that I will probably live to see uh, that is much more comfortable in a self-driving car than they would be in a car driven by humans. And I will never, I'm telling you now, I will never, ever relax in a, in a self-driving car. I'm not saying I won't take one. I'm just telling you, I will never be completely comfortable in a self-driving car. If I had to get into the front seat of a car that had no steering wheel in it, I couldn't do it. I don't think I could get into the back seat of a car that didn't have manual controls. And I'm sure statistically you'll find out that those cars are actually safer than, uh, than, than self-driven cars. But they wouldn't be safer than self-driven cars if you could take the bottom 20% of the drivers off of the, off the road because they 80-20 rule, right? I bet you 20% of the worst drivers create 80% of the accidents. Um, I'll tell you what I do, and, and I, I, I thought about this. I thought, you know, if you had a self-driving car and you were driving across West Texas, Bill, that's what I call myself when I'm having a conversation with myself, and you're driving across that West Texas uh, Gumby Gap, and if you had a self-driving car, there's no traffic. The roads are straight. There's no. Wouldn't you rather just be able to turn on the autopilot and just let it go? And and I've been very tired driving. In fact, I've 
probably the closest I've ever come to being killed was on a number of occasions where I was so tired driving that I just... I remember thinking, I hope this car in front of me is going to my apartment because I'm just following those taillights. I have no idea where I am or what I'm doing. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah, that would be great if I could just relax and go to sleep. And how hard could it be? But I still, I still don't think I could do it. Now, there are going to be entire generations of kids who are going to have the exact opposite experience. They're going to get into a car and they're going to be driven perfect safety from one place to another without a driver. And they're going to look at the opportunity to ride in a car that's not driven automatically by computers and is driven by a human, and they're going to be petrified. And we got to get our house in order before that happens, before those kids grow up. I'm not saying that the self-driving cars are the problem. I'm saying that before there are more people who are comfortable with self-driving cars than there are people left who are comfortable with driving their own car. Before that happens, the tale will be told. And, um, and uh, I'm feeling much better about it than I did before. Marusha asked the obvious question, how do you feel about self-flying planes? Um, both Ferrum and Aginum. Uh, what I'm quite sure I've mentioned that the, the thing about an autopilot, if you're a pilot, the thing about the autopilot that is so intolerable is how well it'll fly the airplane. I mean, if you, if you look at, uh, if you're flying manually and I, I don't I don't think I've ever spent any time at all with an autopilot I mean I can't think of a time I've, I know I've done cruise control but never done an autopilot so I fly from point A to point B and I've got GPS and I know where I'm going and sometimes I have it in sight and I'm flying right for it and if you look at your GPS track even on a good one it's kind of it's kind of doing this but you look at the autopilot it's absolutely flat and the most impressive flying I've ever seen was from uh, Dick Rutan uh, and I was in the back seat of uh, Long Easy. This is well before I started doing this. I had no idea who I am. I'm sure you consider me uh, extra baggage. But uh, I was working with the guys up at X-Corps at um, Mojave Airport, which is now Rutan Field, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, in fact, in fact, uh, I sent this to Bert and Dick, and I didn't hear back from them, and I'm sure that's just an oversight because I thought it was cool. I did hear from Brent. Let me find it. Let me find it because it's, it's – yeah, here we go. Um, so uh, this is my proposal for um, – and, and some of you will catch on to this and some of you won't. But this is my proposal for, uh, for improvements and expansion of Mojave Airport uh, into um, – now that it is Route 10 field, and, and uh, this is my proposal for how the runway and, and taxiway situation should look. That's what I think. Uh, that's my, that's my uh, uh, vision for uh, Route 10 field, uh, Mojave uh, Airport in the future. And um, are there any questions uh, about, about that? Well, let's see who gets it first. And I'm sure all of you are going to get it at the same time. Those of you who are watching on YouTube must be crying your eyes out screaming. Uh, oh, see, just out of curiosity, who's who's got the fastest typing fingers? Because I know most of you will get it. Ghosts is on it. Not quite. Not quite the answer. Do 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 do
put down your pens, please? Uh, first of all, somebody said that the the uh, the numbers don't match. That's how the actual chart was was. That's a that's basically based on an actual instrument chart, and that's how it's laid out. And those numbers are correct, but the orientation is is strange. Um, I think they're I think they're correct. Anyway, uh, no, the reason I, I did that is because that is uh, that's the plan form of the Voyager. Get it? That's what Voyager looks like from the top. Uh, built by Bert Rutan and flown by Dick Rutan. That's my uh, my proposed runway layout for uh, for Rutan Field, which I kind of prefer. All right. Um, so uh, back to the autopilot thing. So um, I. Uh, I, I've flown with, how do I feel about an, uh, a self-driving plane? Um, virtually every moment of every commercial flight that I've taken in the last 25 years has been flown by the autopilot. Uh, we we you simply don't hand fly airplanes anymore except for the landing, which is, you know, the last minute, maybe, maybe a little more, depending on what. Um, when you when even when you climb out when you're you're on the climb out you basically got auto throttles involved or, or, or not involved auto throttles engaged and then uh, you'll get a call on the standard call will be the same thing every time you know or whatever you know United six two three heavy turn left heading uh, two seven zero degrees contact SoCal approach on so on so so on and instead of turning the plane they'll just reach up here and they'll take this little knob and they'll go and and switch it to two thirty. Did I say two three zero? Whatever I said two seven zero. Whatever they'll, they'll turn it to that number, and then the plane will enter a perfect bank, and it will make the perfect turn, and it will roll out perfectly so that it's pointing right exactly there, and it's absolutely flawless. Um, but if I had a choice between that, if I had a choice between flying an airplane that was only autopilot versus an airplane that had no autopilot, I'd take the live pilots every single time. There's something terrifying to me about being in a moving vehicle that is not under at least the possibility of human control. Um, and even if, and I'm pretty sure you probably could, even if you could prove that it is safer with the autopilot and not the human rather than the human and not the, it, it doesn't matter. I don't trust it. And parenthetically, this is the difference between Airbus and Boeing, or at least what Boeing used to be in the not too distant past. Uh, it's it's fundamentally true thing to say that in an Airbus, the airplane can override the pilot, and in a, in a Boeing, the pilot can override the airplane. But it really is that really is the case in the case of the um, of Airbus. Uh, and I, I've always, always thought that is such a deep reflection of our relative cultures, right? The, the Europeans look at this and they say, most airplane accidents are caused by pilot error. Therefore, our airplanes are not going to be, you cannot put our airplane into a, a configuration that will crash the airplane. The airplane will override the pilot. Uh, and, and that's statistically safer because most accidents are caused by pilot error. And that's true. 
but every single emergency in the air has been solved by pilots and not by computers. Every time something goes wrong, it's been saved by a pilot. It hasn't been saved by the software because the software doesn't know what to do. If you've got if you've got a situation like that where something's gone really really wrong, then th that kind of software is your is not your friend. And furthermore, it will in fact kill you. Ironically, I think the first Air France uh, the first Airbus fly by wire airplane that had that had this configuration where the where the computer would not allow the pilot to put the plane into unsafe flight uh, conditions, overbank it or, or, or over-G it or whatever. I'm pretty sure that that is the airplane that, that took off and then essentially didn't climb out and, and it scraped along the top of these trees. I mean, it was like the demo flight. Everybody's there to watch it. And it scrapes across the top of these trees for some good old long distance and finally just disappears and then yeah, into the forest at the Paris Air Show. It's not a good thing to get killed in a plane accident, right? And I've read a lot of co cockpit flight recorders, and I have heard a few voice recordings. Many of them are uh, amazingly um, controlled and astonishingly professional. But on two different occasions, I've heard a scream the likes of which you don't hear unless somebody's about to die. It's just, it's just, there's nothing like that sound. It's a horrifying sound. I've heard it, I've heard it on two different uh, flight recorders. Um, but even in that situation, the only thing I can imagine that would be worse than that would be to be, be yanking on controls and have it not do anything. And knowing you've got a perfectly flyable airplane and the airplane's just not responding to you. The most heroic, uh, case that I can think of, I think there's no question about it, is the, is the case of the um, Alaska Air uh, 717 that had a inadequately uh, maintained jack screw that ran the trim on the back of the plane. And these guys are flying from, I want to say San Diego to San Francisco, something like that. And they're right off the coast of, they fly right over LA. And somewhere very near right over LA, they realized the plane was, I want to say it was nosing down, and so they they hit the trim, and then it kind of got real hard to move, and then they tried to move the trim some more, and it got much worse. And what they were doing was they were grinding a um, uh, uh, an unlubricated uh, uh, screw shaft, and, and it got worse and worse and worse. And uh, got to the point where the plane was so nosed down that it was going into the ocean. And this crew rolled that airplane inverted. This is where they got that idea for the uh, for the movie with um, Denzel Washington. They rolled the plane inverted, and since it was nose down, that means it's actually coming up. And somewhere in that conversation between the pilot and the co-pilot, he says something like, "Look, at least we're flying, right? You can only imagine what's going on in the back there, but we're, we're at least flying. Yes, yes, we're flying." And, and they, they fought that thing all the way into, into the water. And, and, and they were posthumously recognized for it. And they, they never, ever gave up. My flight instructor, Jeff Larkin, told me that there is always a way out, always a way out. Uh, 
he told me about a time when uh, Chuck Yeager was in, I think it was the time he was, he flat spun the, uh, uh, the F-104, which has got a wing the size of my table here. And, uh, and once that was in a flat plane spin, it was unrecoverable. And I've heard this take too. Uh, and Chuck Yeager is, is, and Chuck's not a good guy but he's a m magnificent pilot. Uh, and so you can listen to the audio. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. And you can hear Chuck Yeager, and he's in this F-104, and it's coming down like an anvil. It's not an airplane anymore. It's just a big piece of aluminum. And, and, and his altimeter is just doing this. He's just on his way down, on his way down. And, uh, and they're talking to him, and they're telling him to bail out. And, and Chuck sounds like he's ordering lunch. He said, hang on, there's a couple, a couple things I want to try real quick. When my flight instructor told me this story, he said, what Jaeger did, because he's still alive at the time, so he logically must have survived that unsurvivable incident. He didn't eject. Uh, he said that what Jaeger said was, my flight instructor told me that Jaeger's reasoning, because he was still able to reason in the middle of all this stress, was he said, I could not, no matter what I could do, I could not get this plane out of a flat spin. But I believe I could get it inverted and I know I could get out of an inverted spin. And he told me that, and, and he didn't have to explain it to me. It just hit me. And, 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 and just, yeah. So the way he got out of it was to make things much worse. Exactly. That's exactly what he did. He, he went from a flat spin to an inverted flat spin. He said, I can't get out of this, but I know I can get into a situation that's worse than this, and I can get out of that. He didn't give up. There's a story. I don't know if it's true or not. I've heard it from a couple people. It may or may not be true, but there is a story about a guy who was doing aerobatics somewhere. I want to say it was Torrance Airport. And, and he, he pulled too many Gs, and he, and he cracked the wing spar. And the wing spar is what holds the wings on. And all of the weight of the airplane is held onto this thing. So he's cracked the wing spar, which means this one wing is one, and you go up like this. So immediately the guy goes inverted. Now instead of now instead of separating the wing spar, the, the spar is compressing and, and it's kind of butting up against where it used to be. So, so this guy, according to the story, thinks fast. He's, he, he can hear the snap, rolls his airplane inverted, flies it all the way to the runway, flies an approach to the runway, and at the last second rolls it out in such a way that keep the compression on the wing, lands the plane, and the wing essentially falls off on the taxi. So... Um, you know, there you go. Never give up. All right, moving on. Uh, let's see, Brandon Youngert. Uh, hi, Bill. Hey, Brandon. Uh, it's great when you talk about the colonies. You describe the experience of jumping through multiple gates in rapid succession and how that would be different from the usual fare, such as wormholes. It also seems you'd much rather show than tell. Yes, I would. How much showing and telling does the audience need in order to follow what's happening? That's a fantastic question. My first impulse reaction to this would be, it doesn't matter if it's something you've never seen before. That's the first, that's my first response to that is, it doesn't matter if they understand it or not, so long as it's something new. Because if it's new, it's interesting. And ultimately, ultimately when it's said and done, that's what entertainment's all about. If it, it, your, entertainment can be anything except for dull. Right? And that's why when, that's why we have the idea of a movie. The movie is so bad, it's just, you gotta see it. Right? So, so it's, it's not even being bad, 
it's being boring. So if it's if it's something you've never seen before, that alone to me is a win. Uh, secondly, um, I think that you can convince them that it's real by basically showing the process. I'm going to show the process before I explain it. But once I show it a few times, then I'll explain it. And so uh, uh, like a seven light year, I don't want to call it a jump, second, a seven light year uh, excursion. Let's say you had to go through 12 gates to do that, something like that, right? So the first thing you show to people is you show here's the gate in orbit around in the solar system or wherever. Here's the gate. Here come all the ships. Whoop, there's a flash of light and nothing comes out on the other side. It does go. There's no like, you know, there's no like fractal noise on the inside. It's just flash. These things are coming. You can hardly see the ships. They're moving. It's just a blur. It's like flash. Did they hit the thing? I don't know. They certainly didn't come out the other side. Okay. So then what do you see? Then you go into deep space and you see one gate flash and they come out and then in real space they go some distance, I don't know, somebody will figure it out, minimum distance, but they go some other distance and by the time they hit that second gate it flashes and they're gone. And then they're in deep space flash and they're gone. And that ought to get the, the point across. You cut that against, looking out the window, right, here comes the gate, flash, there's another gate, flash, there's another gate. Flash. That's what it looks like to them. And then afterwards you start, when you get into the political stuff, then you start explaining about how one of these lines is like a railroad. You've got to go out there and build it, and it takes a decade to build it. Once you build it, you got it. Um, and then, um, and then, then that brings up all kinds of other things. I was having this thought earlier today. Found a new channel I like. I've forgotten the name of it. It's brand new to me. It's about ships and shipwrecks and stuff. And he was talking about the Collins Line, which was a American steamship line that preceded uh, Cunard and, and, and preceded, uh, 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 come on, Vanderbilt and all the rest of them. Um, and, and they talked about how this guy grew his, his, uh, his steamship line. And I thought that's one of the things I want to hand off when we get into this open sourcing thing. I, I'd, I'd like to have this this one ship full of people, a crew of four or whatever, I'd like to have over the course of five or six, seven seasons, have this thing grow from one ship to a, a company, to a line, a shipping line. And and I want I want to know how that happened historically to the uh, I forgot the name of it. Um, I want to know how it happened historically because that's probably how it's going to happen. Um, it'll be something like that. And even if it's not, because it's none of this may ever happen at all, but I want it to feel like it because whatever dynamics they had to work on to take this from one ship to an entire shipping line, whatever those dynamics were historically 150 years ago, those economic principles should still be in place. So. I would ask somebody or a group of people say, find out how that happened and translate that into, into stages for me. Start with a small ship, yes. Buy a bigger one, yes. Then what do you do? Well, then you have to build your reputation, okay, and then what? You have to give the government subsidy, okay, and then what? Then you, then you buy two and then you sell the first one. Whatever the procedure was, that's how I want it to be.
So um, if, you, if your guide is history, it will have the ring of truth about it because all of the stuff that, that is garbage, and most of it is, is garbage that comes from the imaginations of writers who don't know what the hell they're talking about and who are not very good writers. JR, um, I believe we will win back Congress, but I sense some people from our side aren't as optimistic, saying they don't think it will be the blowout that we are hoping for. This is done on August 7th. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if the, the Trump raid um, uh, will be... Um, was, I, I don't think that had happened when he wrote this. Uh, but anyway, let's see. Um, what happens if we actually don't win the midterms and Democrats maintain control of Congress? Will that be a it's all over moment for America? There's more, but let me stop right there. Uh, there is no it's all over moment for America. America is an idea. Uh, the government is not America. And, and it's hard to believe, but the territory is not America either. Really, America is a, it's an idea. It's, a, it's an ideal and uh, so there is no, there is never a it's all over moment. It's just a question of how small do we have to make America and where do we have to move it to? Um, but uh, continuing, things are so bad right now that I can't imagine what more would need to happen for voters to really change course. However, even if we did win back Congress, but only by razor thin margins, this would still be a warning sign that our country is really in, would this still be a warning sign that our country is really in deep trouble? Yes, a win would be a win, but barely winning to me would be very alarming. Are we underestimating the huge number of regular people that are on board with or willfully ignorant of this progressive madness? Are we underestimating the number of people that are on board? I think we're underestimating the number of people that are gonna come out and vote Republican for the first time. That's what I think we're under personally. I'm from New York, and I don't think Lee Zeldin has a prayer of winning against Kathy Jokel. Uh, same thing with Michigan, possibly Pennsylvania, too. I think states are so partisan now that it doesn't matter how bad Democrats are. Half the country will still vote for them no matter what. What are we doing wrong? Are we really outnumbered? That outnumbered by stupid people, what do you think? Uh, well, what we're doing wrong is we're still thinking that the answer is to write checks to the Republican National Committee when the answer really is to write checks to BillWiddle.com so we can go out and provide some entertainment that will show people and give them permission to start behaving like normal people because they need permission. But putting that uh, moment of wallowing in my own crapulence aside, uh, there are data points that are out there, uh, and they're not just polls. That win in Texas, uh, and again, uh, it's great to have the especially as you get older. It's great to have the hive mind here. That win where a Republican won a seat that's been held by Democrats since the seat has been there in Texas, Latina, uh, I should say an American, but because that's what she is. But um, that is not like, that's not like a win in an area that was closer, even a win in an area that has leaned heavily Democratic. That is a win in an area that has never, ever, ever voted Republican. During Reagan tenure, never. That's a data point. And, and all across the culture, I'm seeing these data points. Um, Myra Flores, yeah, that was, that's evidence. That's evidence. Um, now, there's no question None that they are going to um, do their very best to cheat this thing out. No question. But as I've said, 
I consider the first Tuesday in November of 2020 to have been a sneak attack in the same way that Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a sneak attack. And the biggest advantage of a sneak attack is nobody knows it's coming. That's why they call it a sneak attack. Once the attack at Pearl Harbor was over, we immediately put into place measures to make sure that that would never happen again. The Japanese may be able to do any number of things, but they were never going to be able to launch a carrier raid on Pearl Harbor without being detected and being fought back on. That was, no. After 9-11, we put measures in place immediately to make sure that no one could hijack another airliner. Because that's it. So that tells me that um, the, 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 uh, the rule that I draw from that is um, you only get one sneak attack per war. So while I have no doubt whatsoever they're going to try and cheat the, the cheat us blind again, there's not going to be a case where, as in 2020, they said, you know what, we have a, a water main leak, so we're going to close up the facility. So everybody go home, and we'll start recounting tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And then everybody leaves. Uh, I'm not saying they won't try that again. I'm saying it's not going to be a question of everybody leaving, right? There's going to be 200 Republicans there with their cell phones out shouting questions. And, and that's why I do think it's possible to win. We're going to have to outdo their margin of cheating. Um, and uh, King of Clean says, yeah, we can't afford to assume that this will happen and all these different voting blocks will save us. We will only win if you vote and I'll vote. And I know that doesn't, I know that sounds like it doesn't make sense. It sounds like my vote will not affect, my voting or not voting will not affect any other votes in the country. It, that, that's true, but it's true in a limited sense. The decision that you make is the decision that everybody else is going to be making, or large numbers, enough people to sway the election are going to be making that decision, right? If you're saying, oh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, sure, I should vote and stuff, but it's California, my vote doesn't matter anyway, then there are endless numbers of other people who are having that exact same conversation in their head. If you come to the conclusion that you're going to go vote anyway, I'm not saying that causes other people to go and vote anyway, but I am saying that it is a reflection of the overall mood, and therefore you should you should follow that instinct. Get out and vote. Um, the... Uh, yeah, Marisha said no single snowflake blames itself for the avalanche. That's exactly right. And no single raindrop is responsible for the ocean either, but that's how it got there. And, um, and so you can say, well, one raindrop doesn't matter to the ocean. You'd be right about that. But rainfall does matter to the ocean, especially if you take it out over billions of years. So while the individual vote may not count, the, the pattern, the motion, the direction, that does count. So get out there and, and vote. Um, I don't think it's going to be uh, close, JR. I really don't. And I'm, I know you wrote this before the, the, the Trump raid. I'm, uh, see, let me tell you what was going through my mind the last couple of days. So there was the raid. And I thought, Oh, God, you know, they, they must have something serious in order to do the raid. And, yeah, I saw that, Marcia, Merrick Garland said he's going to release the, unseal the warrant. Okay. So I'm thinking, this is just 
the thought process for me. So they launched a raid. The FBI launched a raid. That means they must have something, right? That's not good. And then I find out that the federal judges, there was not a federal judge that authorized this. It was a magistrate, magistrate judge. We had this conversation on um, Right Angle Backstage Show. I don't know if it made it to the episode. But basically, Scott said, just because it's a magistrate judge doesn't mean that person's corrupt, which is true. But if you're going to do something that unprecedented, you would want the highest possible legal backing. If it was, if it was something you could get the Supreme Court to agree to, that's what you'd want. Barring that, you'd want a federal judge to back it. And the fact that they got a magistrate judge to back it doesn't necessarily mean that it's corrupt, but it does tell me that they were not able to get any federal judges to do it. Because that's what would have helped. That would have been that would have been increasing their credibility. So then, okay, so then there's that. And then a little while goes on, and um, and then you find out that the guy who did authorize this, the judge, is an activist, not only an Obama uh, appointee, but an but an, an Obama activist who has openly spoken out against Trump and talking about the need to get him down and so on. And I thought, okay, well, that is not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that the, that the person that issued that, if the, if the person who issued the warrant had been either a Trump supporter or had no history of politicking one way or another, which is what essentially they should all be doing, then I would have been more worried. And I had the exact same experience either the next day or the day after that. Yes, before I move on, let me get to this too. G.K. Masterson says he defended a pedophile. When we talked about this on the backstage show, I think Steve said, or but I know Scott agreed that, that, that that's the job of a defense attorney, that's what they do, and that you cannot, you cannot infer from that, that 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 person is corrupt. True, but if I'm a private defense attorney I have the discretion of who I'm going to defend and who I'm not going to defend. And the fact that he was willing to defend it when he didn't have to, it was not a public defender at the time, I don't think, right? He wasn't assigned to the case. He took the case. If I'm, a, if I'm an attorney, if I'm a defense attorney, and I find something that I find reprehensible, I'm not going to represent that person. I'm not depriving him of his rights. He's going to get an attorney. He has that right under the law. It's just not going to be me. So the fact that this guy did, did do that tells me something about his moral character. I understand that can be very thin ice, but nevertheless, I wouldn't have done it, and I don't think any of you would have done it. Uh, so there's that. And then a day or two goes by, and then I read in the news, Trump has just taken the Fifth Amendment in, in, a, in a courtroom on, in New York. Now I'm thinking, oh, now we're... Now, now I really am worried, you know. I know the Fifth Amendment, just like the defense attorney thing. Defense attorney representing a pedophile doesn't mean he's corrupt, doesn't mean he likes the pedophile, it's his job, okay. Likewise, taking the Fifth doesn't mean you're guilty, but taking the Fifth, when, I, when that's all I heard was him taking the Fifth, I thought, my confidence goes back down a little bit. Then I find out that the judge in question is, an, is, is not only an activist, but has stood up in front of large groups of people during his entire administration, calling him an illegitimate president and vowing that she was going to get revenge. Now, this is the thing. See, this is, this is how you, you, have to, you have to train yourself to see things that aren't there. Not things that are imaginary, just things that are not visible. 
the fact that she was a, 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 a maliciously anti-Trump judge isn't the issue. The issue is that they couldn't get anybody who wasn't a maliciously anti-Trump judge. You see what I mean by seeing the things that aren't there, that aren't visible? It's not just that she was so prejudiced. It's that they couldn't find anybody better. And this comes back to Whittle's first law of, of politics, which is anytime the optics of a situation is so bad that you can't believe it, it's because the alternative is worse. And when you go to a magistrate instead of a federal judge, and when you have a when you have a the, the most biased person who was on this who's on the lecture circuit talking about how much she hates this illegitimate president and how she's gonna get him. If that's the best you can do, then that tells me that you don't have a case. Because if you did have a case, you wouldn't have to go that far down the, to the bottom of the barrel. So, you know, there's that. Now, he's going to unseal the, the warrant? Okay, but I already know that the warrant was issued by a, by a rabidly anti-Trump judge. And I know that the New York prosecutor was a rabidly anti-Trump Trump uh, official as well. And if you are going to be the mover behind this, if you're going to be the person who's behind this raid, then you're going to want the very best front you can put on it, right? If you're going to commit an act like this, especially if it's not true, you're going to want as much credibility as you can muster. And if, and if the total sum of their credibility is a magistrate judge who has a record of speaking against Trump and a, and a prosecutor has a record of speaking against Trump, that's the best you can do that that tells me that you don't have anything. People like that will agree to anything. They're, they're like the Cheryl, they're like the Blassie Fords, right? They're, 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 it, it, it just doesn't matter. Um, and then there's, there's a bunch of other stuff in there. You know, when I found out, when I found, oh, Trump didn't turn in these documents. Well, you know, it's true. Hillary didn't turn in these documents. What, what are the classified emails? No, it's the, um, it's the, uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, I, I could wait for the high mind. It's the, um, What is that agency that wanted the, 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 it's not the archives, it's the, uh, is it the congressional record or is it, no, who is it? Um, uh, come on, come on. National archives, I don't remember who it was. But in any event, it was people. No, it wasn't Library of Congress and it wasn't National Archives, okay. So the National Archives is saying that he shouldn't be taking this stuff. However, presidents have to build their own presidential library. That's just a tradition. They, the National Archives, they take memorabilia, notes, photographs, documents that then become a public display of their legacy. If if it were the NSA saying that we're gonna that we need to go in and, and get into the safe because Trump has. Not only does Trump have uh, secrets there, but he's selling uh, secrets to the Russians, and we've got evidence. That's why we're going to authorize this thing. Okay, so so there you go. Somebody told me I've seen it twice now that that the president has the power to declassify documents 
by saying so. If that's true, and you put it up with these other things, it doesn't sound to me like you've got enough of a case to make this kind of historical precedent. And all of this stuff about, well, Hillary did it and all the other stuff is, is it's not only, it's almost irrelevant. We all know that they're, they're biased. We all know. Well, that's actually not true. I, I still had a shred of hope for the FBI before this. Um, so uh, th there's no, look, the, the FBI is, is, it, it, is a, it is a tool of the Democratic Party because they both have the same goals. It's not, it's not a mystery. You don't have to go deep into conspiracy theories. They both have the same objectives, and that is more power to the government and a scaling contempt for the regular citizens and the person who they've elected to represent their interests. So, there you go. The whole Russia thing, all that stuff is real. I didn't invent it. I didn't come up with it. It's all real. Now, I'll tell you what I think might be going on if I had to guess. If I had to guess, I would say that this would be a, pre this would be a, pre a preemptive mudslinging operation. Not a false flag thing, a preemptive mudslinging operation. When Trump beat Hillary, the first thing that came out of Hillary's mouth once she sobered up, so give her a couple of weeks, but the first thing come out um, was an accusation that Trump was colluding with the Russians. Why did she do that? Because she had been colluding with the Russians and there was evidence that she'd been colluding with the Russians. And if she launches the attack first, then the worst case scenario is a tie. Well, you colluded, so did I. You see what I'm saying? You, you accuse the people that, that are coming after you of what you did. And especially when you got the megaphone to the press behind you, then, okay, well, you did it and I did it. What's the big deal? I think that it was authorized because, if I had to guess, this is my, my, this is my most likely guess. My most likely guess would be that the evidence on the Hunter Biden laptop is so overwhelmingly conclusive, so legally overpowering that they know that if Trump is elected, they're all going to go to jail. And the only way they can prevent him from being elected, in their mind, is to attach criminal charges to him. It doesn't matter whether they're true or not. And it won't matter to Trump supporters whether they're true or not, but if they can attach criminal charges to him, then, 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 then we're in the situation we were in in, in, in December and January of, of 2021, right? What does the law say? Well, the law is not apparently going to weigh in on this one. People are going to say, well, there are criminal charges. He's, he's guilty of a felony. He's been found convicted guilty of a felony. Yes. That's the only way they can stop him. Um, newest reports are that the FBI is saying they were looking for top secret, top secret nuclear documents, but I don't buy it, says uh, Bucko588. It's funny, you know, because if he had top secret nuclear documents in his house and he hasn't revealed them to anybody, and I, somebody says Hillary's trying to raise money and sell hats of um, what about the emails? See, this is why I don't, this is why in the long run, I'm confident. Do you know what this raid has done? Here's, what, here's what's actually been accomplished. 
the outrage is going to sway a significant number of people towards Trump because of the outrageousness of it. It'll be the last straw for a number of people. But the other thing it does is it immediately brings Hillary Clinton right back into center stage about her crimes with emails. She thinks that she's getting even for this? No. All she's done is, is remind everybody exactly how much of a crook she really is. And it has fired up the base to a large degree. I have been on record as saying that if I had a choice, I would rather see DeSantis as the Republican candidate in 2024 than Trump. I think, I think not only do I think he's more electable, I think he would probably do a better job. I have not seen anything about DeSantis yet that has disappointed me, although I'm sure it's there. But after this, now, now I'm saying, you know what? Uh, no. Now it's now it's about now it's personal. Now it's about revenge. That's that's really it. And we did the virtue signal today. Uh, Zoe and I did two episodes of the virtue signal today. And I talked about this on my episode. I call it passive aggressive uh, politics, where you basically keep poking somebody, poke, 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 poke. Finally, they hit you, and then you start com complaining about the fact that they that they hit you. Um, So what we were talking about there is, I, I use the example of, of, the, of the, just the one I just gave, the kid in the car, right? If you, have, if you have siblings, you know how this works. And if you've ever been on a long car trip, you know how this works. Poke, 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 stop. Poke, poke, stop it. Poke, poke, I said quit it. Poke, 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 pow, on the arm. Mom, Billy hit me on the arm for no reason. Hit me on the arm for no reason. Okay. That's how it works. That's what they're doing with us now. And, and thinking this through, I realized the only way to stop this dynamic is the first time your brother pokes you, if he's done it before, the first time he pokes you, then you hit him hard immediately. Immediately. Why did you just hit your brother, Bill? Because he poked me. He continues to poke me. And you can punish me if you want to, but I hit him hard enough so he's not going to be poking me again. And, and, and that, there it is. There you go. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Trump fights back. Uh, I listened to Dan uh, Bagino today. He was angry. Uh, um, Eric once again makes the case that DeSantis is running for, uh, for Florida, uh, governor and all the rest of it. That's never stopped anybody before, and it won't stop him. If he decides, and, and the thing I admire about DeSantis is I think DeSantis is, is smart enough and moral enough and adult enough to say, I don't, I don't think there's any chance that DeSantis will run against Trump. I just don't think, I don't think he'd do it, because you can't win, and all you do is split the party. He, I don't think he'll ever, I don't think he would run against Trump. I'd be astonished if he did. That would be the first thing that DeSantis did that I was really genuinely shocked at. I think maybe the best case scenario or a likely case, if it were Trump and DeSantis, that would be pretty amazing. But I don't think DeSantis will run against Trump. I, 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 it's, it's Trump, if, it's, if DeSantis is the nominee, it's gonna be with Trump's blessing. So I don't think it's gonna be DeSantis. Um, but anyway, I was listening to Dan today and he was talking about um, 
about how this whole thing was basically the, the, the Democrats, he said, showing your ass, right? He said that Donald Trump absolutely baffles them because he's the only Republican who doesn't hang his head in shame and apologize when he's accused of being a racist. And if he doesn't, and that goes for us as well, then they have no power over us. All of the power that they have, all of the destruction you see out there in this country, all of it. The thing to really be ashamed about is not what they've done to the country. The thing to be ashamed about is what they've done to the country without guns to our heads. That's the thing we should be ashamed of. That's the thing that we should be absolutely mortified of. We have given them the power. They only have the power to make you feel bad. And this is what I was talking about. I said, ultimately, it comes down to personal pride. We would rather lose the country than stand up against those lies and take the consequences. And the consequences can be serious. It can, it can cost you your job, it can cost you your friends, it can cost you all those things. But ultimately, they don't have guns to our heads. We allow them to do this. That's a bit of a wake-up call. And, and what Benjino was saying was that, was that Trump doesn't play that game, and that's the only game they know how to play. And so they keep raising the stakes. They keep, they keep raising it and raising it and raising it. And what Dan said was, now they've raised it to the point where we understand what they are. They want to arrest their political opposition. And I don't think it's lost on me or anyone else that um, Roy says, I went to a black guy... I talked to a black guy in Walmart today who was venting about it like crazy. What side was he venting on, Roy? I'm curious. Um, the, the real reason for the raid, okay, is not whether they'll find something on Donald Trump. The real reason for the raid is, oh, that's great to hear. He, it drove him insane. He desperately wants Trump back in office. Yeah, if they don't get the black vote and the Hispanic vote, and all this transgender stuff is costing them both of those votes, they'll never win again. I'm I'm confident. But back but, but back to this whole thing. Um, where was I? Gone. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, the real reason for the raid is to show the American people that you can be a billionaire and the former president of the United States, and if the state wants to come into your house and go fishing for evidence, they will do it. If, if a billionaire former president is not safe from this kind of thing, none of you are. And that's what the message is. And that's why that meme is so powerful. It's a picture of Trump, and Trump says, if you think they're after me, you're wrong. They're after you. I'm just in their way. And that's precisely how I see it. That's precisely how I see it. So 87,000 IRS agents, was it six times the size of the Border Patrol? And today, I may be a little late to this news, but I think it was yesterday or today, there was uh, one of these recruiting things from the IRS, from the Department of the Treasury, it was essentially, here's what we want if you're applying for the job. And one of the things that they talked about was, if you're going to be one of these new IRS agents, then you might be called upon to carry a weapon, and you might be called upon to use deadly force. Now, let's just stop right there. 
I make an effort to be uh, as fair about things as I can. And the other show we did was on this uh, this uh, drag queen taking this little girl up on stage and stuff. And so I start by saying, yes, of course, I, I, I'm, I find this repugnant. What's fair? What about this is illegal? What about this is immoral? So if we do the same thing again here with the IRS thing, you have to say to yourself, okay, what would what could possibly be the um, the motivation, the explanation for armed IRS agents? Well, we could be going into places that are really dangerous. People are trying to, you know, drug smugglers or something like that. And my response to that would be, well, if you if you as accountants discover a person who's committing criminal activity enough to make you feel that your life is in danger, then that's time to call the local SWAT team. That's time to call the police. Why are we arming you? Why are we arming six times the number of Border Patrol agents? Border Patrol agents have a reason to be armed. Why are we arming accountants if they're only going to be accountants? Right? Why are we arming accountants if they're going to be accountants. The only reason we're arming them and, and hiring people who are willing to use lethal force against their fellow citizens is because that is the plan. They understand. Look, this is so obvious that, it, that, that it's almost foolish to talk about it. So let's just, so let's just get this understood. We can stop all of this, all of it, immediately by simply stop, by, by simply not paying our taxes. Now, that's why payroll withholding is the key to this whole thing. That's, without payroll withholding, if you had to write a check to the IRS, as I do, then there would be no trillion-dollar federal budget or deficit. If people got to touch the money that they earned and then had to give it up, this whole thing would be over. And it'd be over tomorrow if every single American stopped paying their taxes, if we just stopped doing it. And now we get to the, to the understanding that they have about our psychology. These people are masters of our psychology. They know that we will continue to pay our taxes because number one, we're law-abiding citizens, and number two, none of us want to be the first guy to fire that shot. But as G.K. Masterson says, they can't arrest all of us. They not only cannot arrest all of us, they can't arrest any of us if this is something that we all do, right? But if you're the only person doing it, then, then you're in trouble. And the reason that these people are IRS agents is because they, already, they, they understand that Americans already have an inbred, let me rephrase that, already have a learned terror of the power of the IRS. And this would just be another one of their powers. It's not like they're talking about arming the Park Service to come after us or the Salvation Army. They understand that the IRS has powers that no other federal agency or government agency has at all. They have unlimited powers. And they have had unlimited powers for essentially since the 16th Amendment. And so people live in fear of the IRS. This is part of the government that they fear. And since we have guns, this is the smart play for them. This is the smart play for them to increase the oppression pressure on us without it turning into something hot. Right? 
So if you're going to keep pushing, what you want is you want the path of least resistance. And if you're going to have to create a domestic army to continue to intimidate the American people once they start showing signs of having had enough, then you want that to come from the people that are already wearing the uniforms that regular citizens are most intimidated by, and that's the, uh, that's the Internal Revenue Service. Um, so uh, the fact that they're talking about arming accountants is an indication. It's a logical open and shut case. There's no other explanation. If you're going to arm 87,000 accountants, then they're not accountants because accountants don't need to be armed. Policemen do. Uh, um, Buck of 588 says they're playing the whole if you're following the rules, you have nothing to worry about line just like every tyranny ever. Yes. And I, on one of the right angles, I turned that around by saying if you as the government believe that every single citizen is a criminal and therefore you need to increase this army of people to go after that, then you are the ones with the, with the moral problem. Right? You want to make assumptions? If you're innocent, you have nothing to worry about? Forget about the fact that, of course, that's how every tyranny ever started. What you're saying is we need massive increases in the number of enforcement people because so much of the American population is not doing what we're telling them. So, there you go. G.K. Masterson says, abolish the entire federal government that isn't explicitly described in the Constitution. If we did that, our problems would be over. Our problems with China would be over. Our problems with recession would be over. Eventually, our problem with debt would be over. All of our problems would be over if we simply did that, if we put the government back in the size, back in the box that it came in. If we cut it down to the size, so it fit back in the box it came in. That's what we, that's what I want. Um, so we'll see. I think that, uh, well, uh, Eric says Trump's going to run, Trump's going to win, and Trump is not going to immediately step down after winning and make Ron DeSantis president. Trump's got a mission to exact his revenge, and he's going to do it. I agree completely. Certainly, this would be the last uh, straw in that. Yes, I, I, I completely agree with that. Now, I think, I think. Uh, oh, we got an influx of people rating the stream. Hello uh, from, oh yeah, I thought I saw all these uh, chatters. Where they, where they come from? Uh, I, I've, I've heard nothing but great things about you. And uh, if you're new to the channel, I'd just like you to know that um, I heartily endorse this product or service. Um, so there he is. There he is. He's He's going to get revenge. Now, it's not, it's not a question of revenge, right? It's justice. It's justice. What does justice mean? When Trump was elected the first time, he went in there as our advocate, and he took with us our beliefs, which is constitutionality, but he also took with us our naivete, right? Well, he's got the job, and I don't see any reason to fire him just because I knew, and this and this, and he took, he took our naivete with him because he's essentially an honest guy. I'm not saying he's not a sharp businessman, but he loves this country, and I'm sure when he became president in 2017 in January, the idea that things were as far gone as they were gone was beyond his mental radar. It was certainly beyond mine, but it won't be again. And so 
And so it's like, okay, uh, if, if this is what it comes down to, then the first thing you do is you raise your right hand on January 20th or whatever that date happens to fall on and and you take the oath of office and you wave to the people on the parade route you get into the white house you sit down at the desk you pick up the phone and you fire the you fire the federal government fire it i'm not saying you eliminate it i'm saying you fire them and you start at the top and you work your way down right? immediately upon if i was if i was elected president in 2024 and i would make this crystal clear from the beginning so it's not a surprise the federal government has been weaponized against the american people for so long that there is no part of it that I trust anymore. And so in order to solve this problem, I'm going to do what anybody else would do when they're trying to restore credibility. I'm going to put it under new management. So as soon as I take the oath of office, I'm telling you, I am firing every single government official across the board, and I'm firing all of their uh, aides and, and, and deputies, and I'm firing all of their aides and deputies. And then I'm going to start looking at it on a case-by-case -case basis. And if you say, well, my God, where are you going to get the people? I'm going to say there are 300 million, 330 million Americans out there. There've got to be 50, 60, 70 million Americans out there either run a business or, or manage one. I'm sure, given those numbers, I can find the 12 or the 9 or the 15 or the 20 or whatever I need to fill these job uh, positions. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, Eric Blake says, fire all the top brass of the FBI, then appoint Trey Gowdy as the new FBI chief. Yes, but I would go further than that. I'm going to use the same argument against the government that I've made, that I've tried to make with uh, with the pop culture, with uh, with Doomcock and, and, and Gary and all the rest of them. And my argument is that these, Star Wars and Star Trek are irredeemably damaged. They are, those brands will not be recovered. They cannot be recovered. Even if you gave them to the fans tomorrow, there's so much damage done to Star Trek and Star Wars, so much damage done to canon that it is irrecoverable. People are still, well, maybe John Favreau will come. You can't undo the stuff that they've done. You can't undo Obi-Wan Kenobi running away. You can't undo it. It's done, right? So I would, yes, Trey Gowdy would be my first choice. And I would put Trey, Trey Gowdy in charge of the, um, the uh, Federal Investigation Bureau, the FIB, because I would abolish the FBI. They, their credibility is irretrievably gone, irretrievably gone, and the damage they've done is irretrievably gone. I would, I would just simply, I would simply, we need, we need a counter espionage force for the United States of America, and on some level, we need a small federal level investigatory force. Not an enforcement force, not a police force, an investigative Federal Bureau of Investigation. It's not the Federal Bureau of Enforcement. It's not the Federal Bureau of Punishment. It's the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I would remove all, essentially all powers to arrest and all, I, I, take, I take it right out of them. The job of the FBI is to investigate things on a federal level, make a case, and then and then you, you deal with the local police in that particular, um, uh, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, <laughs> I'm having such a hard time. Jurisdiction. And that's what I would do, right? Boom. I would just, I would do, I'd do it with all of it. I'd fire the head of NASA. I'd fire all of them. And if somebody said, well, you could lose some good people. Uh, I haven't seen any evidence that we'd lose some good people, but so what if we do, you know? So what if we do? If, if you've got a cancerous organ or a cancerous arm, we've got gangrene of the fingers, that's a better example. Right, and I have to have my hand amputated, 
you can say that I'm losing plenty of good cells there. Yes, it's absolutely true, but, but that's what has to be done now to stop this, this infection. And, and I have, I, I don't trust them. I don't care. If Trey Gowdy was, was, if Trey, if Trey Gowdy was put in charge of the FBI, those letters would still be tainted to me now. And, and it's, the brand is, the brand is damaged beyond recovery. It's time to start fresh. And the real key would be to eliminate as many of these things as possible. Just, I just get rid of them. I get rid of the first thing I would do is I'd get rid of the Department of Education immediately. I just, just, just stop it. I just shut it down. I shut down the Department of Energy too, because not only are they not constitutional, they are here to make things worse. They're here to connect government coercion to large companies' greed. This was my big breakthrough insight of 2022, was that the, the forces that have always been fighting each other, big government against big business, are now colluding because both of them realize they can both get what they want if they work together instead of against each other. So, boom, there you go. That's what I would do. I w there are some things that need to be in place. You, you, you need something like the FBI. You need something like the CIA. By the way, by the way, um, in 2019, we got a sizable, don by far the largest donation that we've ever gotten in this company, by far. And it was a donation made, I'm not gonna mention his name, but it was a donation made by a former agent of uh, the, um, the organization, you know, Christians in Action, uh, who had terminal disease and, and made a, a, a significant donation to this company and had been an expatriate living in Norway for a while, 15, 20 years, something like that. Former organization man living in Norway and unlimited time. So I wrote him and said, I'm going to, I'm coming to Oslo on my dime, obviously. I'm coming to Oslo to thank you. And you can either meet me or not, but I'm coming. And, and I'd rather thank you now than be there at, at the funeral because I'll, I'll come to that if, if, if not. I'm going to fly across the world to thank you. That, that's how much it means to me because it, it did. And I spent uh, three days with this man and listened to his stories of what they did when the agency, he was working in the 60s mostly, 60s and 70s. Did I say Oslo? No, Oslo. Oslo, Norway. Stockholm was in Sweden. Um, so, so we had a chance to talk and he knew, he, he knew he was in his last weeks. As a matter of fact, we had to go downtown. He had to, he had to, he had to get his, he had to, he had to get his, his equivalent of the green card renewed. It had, is about to expire. He needed to get it renewed, even though he, he knew he wasn't going to live another month, month or two past that date. So I went with him. Uh, he drove and I went with him. And um, we parked the car and there was this long but shallow ramp leading up to this government building. And we started walking up the ramp and he had to stop. And then we walked up some more and he had to stop. And I just stayed with him and I essentially had to almost carry him in there and, and sat him down in a chair. And I went up to one of these people and said, uh, they said, you can't sit there. It's a, it, it's for people who are in this line. I, said, I understand that I'm not arguing with you about that. 
I'm saying this man's having a medical emergency and he's he's barely able to stand. by this point he's leaning on the on the counter like this and I got him in there and instead of him having to go to the window I went and got the papers and got all that stuff done and on the way back he went he practically I caught him like twice and uh he told me afterwards he has no doubt whatsoever would have died if I hadn't been there and I told him well be perfectly honest with you honestly Dick uh I probably wouldn't have made it if you hadn't been there for me either honestly so we're even and it was uh it was it was the kind of thing that was there were details in there that were humiliating to a to a real man like this guy and I just said I'm just gonna laugh about it to your face so anyway um I sat with him for two or three days and he told me about what life was like in the agency when he was working there. And he told me that, and this is 2019, he said, he doesn't recognize any of these people. I don't mean physically recognize, he doesn't recognize the attitudes he does from what he's hearing from people who are still in the, in these organizations. He said, it's, it's, we don't know what it is. It's certainly not the FBI. It's certainly not the CIA. Um, uh, so, um, to give you an idea, this is what stayed, this is my takeaway from him. And, and this is my takeaway from, this is my takeaway of the CIA from the 70, 60s and 70s based on a guy who was a station head for the CIA. He told me two stories, both of them true and both of them important. There was a, I want to say it was Jap, I want to say it was a Japanese communist, and in order to get to Vietnam, in order to get into North Vietnam, they had to go through. I want to say it's a, a, an air, a, I want to say it's an airport in Thailand. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I'm 99% sure it was an airport in Thailand. And Thailand was a U.S. ally during the Vietnam War, so we had close ties with the Thais, and uh, and so we had the ability to do some influencing of um, of uh, what was going on in Thailand. So this guy was a terrorist. He was a communist terrorist, Japanese communist terrorist. He had, he had been part of the plot that had killed people. And he was a bad, bad guy. And so what happened was he wanted to go to North Vietnam and we had the evidence, we had the intelligence evidence that he was going to do bad things there. But we couldn't use it because the information that we'd gotten from the wiretap happened while there was a U.S. citizen in the room, and the FBI was forbidden to spy on U.S. citizens, so that evidence was thrown out because there was an American in the room. They had him on tape, right? And, and they couldn't use the evidence because there was an American there. They weren't going after the American, just his presence there said, our, our mandate is very clear. We cannot commit espionage on the American people. So, so there was that. So then they, so then they thought, okay, what are we going to do about this guy? You know, what are we going to do? We don't want him to go in there. He's going to cause all kinds of trouble. We know what he's going in there for. So what are we going to do? So you know what they did? At this point, I'm going to interrupt the story and go to the other story. He was, I want to say Lebanon. He was in Lebanon. And this, I think was the sixties. And there was a period there when the Lebanese, uh, militias and gangs were kidnapping foreigners and ransoming, ransoming, ransoming them back. 
And this was becoming endemic. They would kidnap British subject and they would ransom them back and the British embassy would pay. And they'd do it to Americans and they would pay. And they were taking like junior level diplomatic people, kidnapping them and the embassy would pay. And the Soviets embassy said that we, we're not going to pay. Well, these guys kidnapped a Russian diplomat and they called the embassy to say, we've got your guy and we'll give him back to you for X amount of money. And the Russian, the Soviet embassy said on the phone to them, said, if he's not back in our building by six o'clock today, we will kill you. We will kill all of your family members. We'll kill everybody you know. We're going to kill all of you. If he's not back in our office at six o'clock, we're going to kill all of you. And he wasn't back at the office at six o'clock. And so they did. They killed all of these people and they killed all of their families. They killed the wives, they killed the children, they killed the babies, they killed them all. Right? They killed them all. And nobody messed with the Soviets again after that. But Dick was disgusted by that. And rightfully so. I said, well, it worked, didn't it? He said, yeah, it worked. But it but it's repulsive. It's it's disgusting. It's not an order I would have followed. It, I just wouldn't have done it. That's the Soviets. So back to the first story. So do you know what you know what the American intelligence agency did to get to this Japanese guy? Do you think they bumped him off? Did they have one of those umbrellas with the uranium pellet, you know, or did they poison him? Did they do this? No, they didn't do any of that. I'll tell you what they did. Because this is an amazing story, true story. Heard it from the horse's mouth. This Japanese communist was coming through this airport in Thailand and was heading for North Vietnam, and we had Thai allies. Thailand was our ally. And so the CIA called the, called the, actually what actually happens, coming back to me now, we got information that this guy was traveling to North Vietnam and we, this is Dick speaking, he said, we then notified the Thai office of the CIA and said, do you have any interest in this guy? He's coming your way. And they said, oh my God, yes, absolutely. We have interest in this, this guy's like our number one problem. I said, well, he's coming your way. So what did they do? I'll tell you what they did. This is amazing to me. This communist terrorist landed in Thailand and was preparing to go through to North Vietnam. Our allies in the Thai government arranged to have that flight canceled because of a maintenance issue. And so the guy went to a hotel. It's just for one night. We didn't arrest him, didn't do anything. He went to a hotel. And as he was at the hotel, it was either coming in or, or out or whatever, he had his briefcase, and in this briefcase was all kinds of nastiness, right? Real major intelligence in his briefcase. And the guy had gone up, checked in, came down for dinner or whatever, and as he was outside the building, a couple of agents, Thai agents, got into a fight out on the street. They, they, got, they faked the fight, and they didn't hit him. They, they just barely brushed against him. But the Thai police came to the scene and said, okay, well, we need to take a statement. So I'm going to need you, 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 and you, and you to come with me to the station. It's going to take about an hour. And, and we, just need a, we just need you to identify the people, and that's it. We're very strict about our laws here. And the guy's complaining and moaning. He says, sir, I'm sorry. A crime has been committed. You were witness to it. You are coming with us, and, and we'll get you out of there as fast as we can. So did they, did they arrest him? No. They took him down to the station. Now, this guy's got his briefcase with him because he's not going to leave it in the room because he knows if he leaves it in the room, somebody could mess around with it. So he takes it with him. He gets to the station, 
And they say, all right, so the question is probably going to take about 35, 40 minutes. That won't be too bad and stuff. And they said, um, we'd like to look inside your briefcase just to make sure there's no weapons in there. And the guy said, well, I'm not going to do that. I said, fair enough. We respect your privacy. Here's a locker. Put it in a locker. Here's the key. You take the key. We'll go and do the interrogation. Okay, so he locks it in a locker. He goes into the interrogation, and that's when the clock starts running. So instantly, our agency guys, who happen to have a key, unlock that locker, take the suitcase out, go to a private room, open the suitcase, and they're taking Polaroids. And he said Polaroids because he said these things had just hit the market, instant photographs, big big, big benefit for guys like us. So they open it up, Polaroid. They lift one thing out very carefully, put it down there, Polaroid, because you're going to have to put it back again, and it's got to look exactly the same way as it did. So they're doing this. They're working against the clock. Now, Dick said, in order for this whole plan to work, we had to have this guy who was there in Thailand, who happened to be there in Thailand, and this guy was a forger. And he was such a good forger that he could draw by hand, he could draw a $100 bill and you would not be able to tell the difference. That's how good this guy was, a once in a lifetime genius. So what they did was they move all this stuff out and then they find his personal diary. Now, this is not where the evidence is. It's just his personal diary and they knew he had a personal diary. So, aha, we've got it. We got our gloves on. They open up the diary. They look at where the current thing is. They go back a few pages, right? And then this forger, this genius takes a look at the handwriting of this communist terrorist and copies his handwriting and he is told what to write and he's not even writing in English characters. He's, 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 he is forging Japanese characters being shown what to write and he does it in this guy's hand and they make a diary entry and then they close the diary and they put it back and they put everything else back in. They put all that stuff back in, close the briefcase, put it back in the locker, lock the thing and, and back up. Uh, I won't say his name. Look, Dick is his name. Okay. Dick is not an identification, Eric. Calling him Dick is not going to release him. Uh, it's not going to expose him, especially since he's been dead for two or three years. His name is Dick. I'm not giving you his last name. I'm not going to do one of these. Uh, well, we, uh, 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 the problem we need to, the problem was uh, Lisa S. No, no, that's too specific. Let's just say L. Simpson. I'm not doing that. I'm saying Dick, okay? So I don't know what the, what the fuss is about there. In any event, they put all this stuff back. The guy goes back to his, to his thing. He's gone like a half an hour, unlocks his locker, takes a suitcase, gets back to his hotel room, opens it up, sees everything's fine, fantastic, gets on the plane the next day, and just as he's boarding the plane, the Thai police come now and say, sir, you're coming with us, you're under arrest. Why am I under arrest? You're under arrest because you've made threats against the Thai government. He said, I didn't make any threats against the Thai government, that's ridiculous. So, well, we have evidence. So they arrest this guy, they take him downtown, and they open up his diary, and they look at, at this entry from four or five days earlier, and sure enough, in his handwriting, here he is talking about what he's going to be doing to undermine the Thai government. Now, he didn't do that. And since he didn't do it, he never actually went to jail for it, but he did stay in Thai, well, prison, but he did stay in Thailand for about six weeks before he could get it cleared up. And that was all the time they needed. So that was the difference between the CIA and the KGB. CIA wants to get a guy in trouble, they go in and forge his diary so that he's detained for a while. The KGB wants something and they murder the people who are the threat and all of their families too. That's what, that's what the CIA used to be. And he said, I don't recognize it anymore. I don't recognize any of the people there. The things that are going on in that agency now would have blown us away.
So that's why I think it's time to start from the ground up with all of these things. It's just I do not trust them. I do not. Um, Well, I said I'd get through it, so let's get through it. Uh, let's see here. Martin Archer. Trump deserves a second term. It was stolen from him. This would partially redress one of the biggest wrongs in our country's history. This and the fact that Trump will be far more motivated than DeSantis or anyone else to drain the swamp, to me, adds up to Trump for the 24 nomination, not the Florida governor. Having him as beat for that one term would help DeSantis learn the Washington ropes in preparation for his nomination four years later. The Dems can't possibly unearth someone in the next two years who could beat Trump. They have no good candidates anywhere on their side. So it seems to me that Trump is a shoe in for the presidency come January 25. I rest my case. Do you agree or can you make a better case for DeSantis? I fortunately can roll through this question pretty quickly because we had this conversation half an hour ago. Uh, I think DeSantis would be a better president personally, but I also think DeSantis, one of the reasons I think he'd be so good is because He's not going to. He's he's not going to run against Trump. He's, I, I just can't see that happening. So yes, so Trump DeSantis would be perfect dream ticket. I think we're going to go for the record trick tonight. Um, so uh, hopefully we got all of that covered, Martin. So we talked about it in length a little while ago. Road Rider, um, Bill, your update. Your update last TSL Invisible was frustrating, but understand not everyone can be Willie Mays in center field for the Giants. Hall of Famers get hits. 3.5 out of 10 times at the plate. Superhero Hall of Famers hit 4 out of 10 times. They failed 6 out of 10 attempts. That's true. The best batter in history, Ted Williams, hit one, hit 4 out of 10 balls. Uh, got on base 4 out of 10 at-bats, to be precise. Um, every one of them walked up to the place thinking they were going to get a base hit. With Invisible, you walk up to the plate one time after full year of practice, learning animation, writing the story, etc. You didn't hit a grand slam this time but I believe you got a base hit. Question is, are you going to keep on trying, and do you have any tricks up your sleeve to F with the pitcher or pick up the spin on the ball to get an advantage? Can you let us in on what you planned, if anything? And to be honest with us, did you get a bump from your existing members other than me? Great question, and a fair question. Uh, I got that thing out the door as fast as I could. I am, I am in the process of, of fixing the last two things in there that bother me enough for it to bother me. And then we're going to go back out with the whole thing and do it again. There are other things that I have to prepare in order to go for phase two, but no, I'm not finished. I have not yet begun to fight. I plan to take that invisible thing and the finished animation, and I'm going to try and get on every show there is. I'm just going to push it and push it and push it and push it and push it. The most important thing for that is is not so much raising memberships or even anything within the conservative circle. The question is, is that animation enough to convince people in a crowdsourcing situation that we can deliver the goods in terms of a finished product? I can certainly, I'm in the process now to answer your question. I'm working every day on putting together the elements we need to show people what the science fiction future is going to look like, but this is what a delivered finished product looks like, and that's why we got it out in uh in such a hurry because it, because we're just dying. Did we get a bump on our existing members? We got a significant bump on PayPal, but we got next to nothing on our on our membership, which is very unusual considering what happened uh, back uh, in uh, December of 2020 and January of 2021. There we got a, a, a big uh, one-time donation at PayPal and we got a big membership gain as well. We didn't see the membership gain 
uh, this time. Uh, there might be technical reasons for this. I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, I am not yet begun to fight and all of the assets and stuff that I need is not going to come from people who already know me. Uh, that pitch has been made and and either you're in or you're not. The, the thing for it to work will be to go out and take that same argument to people who either have never heard of me or have barely heard of me or maybe remember me from their from their uh, long long lost childhood. So the criticism is 100% fair and if I were to be ending it here you would be absolutely right. I walked up to the plate, took a big swing, got on first and then basically quit the game. But uh, I'm not quitting the game. Uh, I am trying to get things in order and I have to add that things have been horrific in a number of other ways that really aren't anybody's business but my own. So hopefully that answered it for you. Jazer McFarland. Jazer, that's maybe the coolest first name I've heard of in, in forever. Hi, Bill. First time asking a question as a member. What three positions in your community that you, what, I'm sorry, what are three positions in your community that you could participate in, run for election, or volunteer with? That sounds like a question from the citizenship test because you and I uh, were basically, um, we were we were talking about that with, uh, with um, uh, Natasha's uh, citizenship question. Sounds just like that. I'm currently volunteering as a reserve deputy, a teacher's assistant at my daughter's elementary school and looking for one more thing. Your thoughts. First of all, Jazer, it's people like you that are going to save this country. It's not going to be people like me. It's going to be people like you. All I can do is to encourage people like you and ammo you up a little bit, but the actual the actual work of saving the country are, is going to be done by people who go in and become teaching assistants and volunteership uh, uh, reserve deputies. It, it's just that simple. Um, it's just that simple. Uh, so I, I mean that absolutely sincerely. Uh, I would say if you had a third one, I would I would say the, the biggest need right now would be for you to uh, find a way to get involved with election integrity and be a be a poll watcher. That would be my that would be my um, uh, that would be my strong suggestion. Um, there's a question in the comment section from one of our new visitors who we're very happy to have, uh, I think named Beefire. Uh, he's talking about if the president and the vice president from the same state, they don't get the votes from that state. Is that incorrect? It actually is incorrect. Uh, Beefire, the, if the president is from Montana and the vice president is from Arizona, that doesn't mean they automatically get the, the votes of Montana or Arizona. When you say that they bring the states with them, it means that presumably they're popular in their state. So having a vice president from Arizona will help you win Arizona, but it doesn't guarantee you win Arizona. So it all comes down to the election. You are right to say that if both presidents and the vice president are from the same state, you don't get to bring the popularity of that other state in there, but it's not like you automatically get the votes. You can have the president and the vice president be from Florida and still lose Florida. So that's how it works. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, Jazer, uh, I, I just highly recommend uh, right now, you know, poll watching. I think that's where everything is. Like I said, uh, it's th that you only get one sneak attack, and and that means that we got to be, um, we got to have, we got to have troops on the line where where they hit us last time. Now that doesn't mean they can't hit us somewhere else, but it does mean that we cannot allow them to hit us there again. And and I don't think there's any chance that they will get away with what they got away from last time because what they got away from last time was so monumental it was just so huge no one could believe it and once again just to back this point up i come to 
I come to the night I was I was like the late night ninth sit-in for Daily Wire's live coverage, and I came in like midnight or something, and um, and this was just when Trump had made the announcement on election night that something really serious was going wrong. And Ben said that's an irresponsible thing for him to say. He's got no evidence of that. And and I remember thinking, no, Ben's right. He doesn't have any evidence of that. And then I realized, no, the evidence is so big that you can't see it. It's so big that you can't see it. The evidence is that they stopped counting, Ben. They stopped counting in five states. That's the evidence. Yeah, but there's no, there's no indication that there was cheating. You don't need it, right? You don't need it. It has never happened before. It's happened in five states. All of these five states are swing states, and, and Biden needs them all to win. So the fact that they're not counting votes right this second, right now as we're sitting here, the fact that they've shut those polling stations down is evidence. And so that's basically kind of where I'm, you know, where I'm going with that whole thing. You, have, you cannot get away with that twice. It was so overwhelming. It was so brazen. It was so monumental and widespread that, that we couldn't process it. We couldn't process it. None of us could process it. Not not that night, and not the next day. And and I remember you remember the the little graphs, right? Here's the red line. Here's the blue line. Whoop. Okay. There's your evidence. Well, so what's the explanation? See, this is how you this is how you learn how to think. It's not just a question of here's what I believe. It's a question of here's what I believe. Now, what is the what is the what is the other side saying? What's the other explanation for this? If you don't do that, you're gonna you're gonna go down a lot of wrong paths, right? Oh, the Earl of, uh, Shakespeare wasn't written by William from Stratford; it was written by uh, by the 16th Earl of Oxford. Okay, here's a bunch of evidence. Looks pretty compelling, to be honest with you. What do the Shakespeareans? What do the Stratford uh, crowd say? Bam, 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 uh, Edward de Vere guys, but Shakespeare was written by, you know, Shakespeare. So you, you have to be able to play devil's advocate honestly and fairly and be serious about it. So when we saw this thing, right, they said it was an input error. And this is another example of things being too big and too obvious to see. They said it was an input error that an operator had entered a, a wrong number. The first response to this would be, are you saying that a person entered a number that was 10 times or 20 times higher than what he expected? In fact, 10 or 20 times higher than what the entire registered vote of the, of the county was? Yeah, that's right, it was just a mistake. So it's not like you, you just entered the wrong number. Are you also saying to me that, you're, that the, the future of the United States of America is dependent on one guy working late at night getting all the numbers right, it's not cross-checked or anything? Nope. Nope, he just made a he just made an error, and that's why that little jump is there. Uh, nothing, nothing to worry about. And I said, okay, but this is no this is the question nobody asked. Okay, well you can see the graph continues on, right? So you said you said that this bump was a an input error, and you've corrected it, right? Yes. Well then, why don't we see it go back down again when you subtract the numbers from the from the numbers you just admitted were inaccurately entered? Nobody answered that question. And there's, there's the, the, the number, the, the amount of evidence is just overwhelming. For, it's just overwhelming. So anyway, there's that. Um, Justin Witsit, did I, did I get all that? I think I did. 
Yes. Poll watcher would be my vote. Bill, can someone please explain this obsession with, quote, representation, unquote, and having characters look like me in movies, TV, books, etc.? I'm with you, brother. As a boy, the movies I watched over and over again were The Lady and the Tramp and the original... Te- How could you watch The Lady and the Tramp and, 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 and connect to it, Justin, if you're not a dog? I mean, honestly... You know, how could you possibly connect to the emotions up there if you're not a dog? That's, that's species appropriation. And the original Teenage, Min- Newton, teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In my teenage years, it was still the Ninja Turtles. And any time I went to my grandmother's because she had cable TV, I could always find one of the Blade movies with Wesley Snipes. Again. Uh, now... What does two cartoon dogs, four giant green mutated turtles, and a black American vampire represent about a southern Indiana farm boy who is the descendants of German, English, Irish immigrants, and American Indians? According to their logic, I shouldn't be like any of these. I shouldn't like any of these movies, but I still watch Lady and the Tramp with my kids, and the Ninja Turtles are still true to this day. One of my favorite movies, and Blade One, Blade Two are the two best action movies of the '90s. Okay. So you have extraordinarily, extraordinarily effectively dissected the, the hypocrisy of it. So since it doesn't make any sense, since it, in fact, it not only doesn't make sense, it makes anti-sense. It, it is demonstrably false. So why are they promoting, so why are they pushing this agenda? Why, why are we seeing this? Why are we hearing this all the time? Well, it's like this, kids. I did this exact same thing earlier today in Zoe's segment when we were talking about the the trans movement. So I'll give it to you real fast, as fast as I can. After World War I, World War I was over, a group of, of Marxist philosophers in Germany looked around at the wreckage of World War I and said, where is the communism? Marx said that communism would be the scientific irreducible outcome of class warfare. We've just spent our, the last four years killing each other in record numbers and making governments richer. Where is the socialist workers' uh, revolution? wasn't coming. They didn't know why. They couldn't explain it. And they still couldn't explain it. After time, they got together and started something called the Institute of Marxism. And that was located in Frankfurt, Germany. So we call it the Frankfurt School. It was a think tank. Right? And they looked around and they said, okay, what's actually happening is these damn capitalists are making enough wealth for everybody that there's no reason for people to go out into the streets and kill or risk being killed because of their economic disparity because these capitalists are raising everybody's standard of living so fast. American workers have their own cars, for God's sake. Right? So, World War II is approaching. Adolf Hitler's coming to power. Communists are being murdered in the streets just the way they murdered other people. So the Frankfurt School pulls up from Frankfurt, Germany and runs for their lives and they settle in New York, New York State. And they continue on with this. After World War II, they're looking at this and they're saying, okay, the thing that is blocking our desire to tell other people what to do through Marxism, the thing that's keeping us is a bunch of frumpy, rumpled, intellectuals sipping coffee in a cafe someplace rather than running the world, which is what we should be doing, is this American idea of freedom and, 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 and individuality and all the rest of it. We have to destroy that. Okay, great. Well, we know that everything we believed previously, that the worker would be the vanguard of the revolution. That's just classic Marxism. The oppression of the working man would cause the working class, the proletariat, to rise up, 
murder all of the bourgeoisie, take over the factories, and then everybody would share in the, in the common good for everybody. There'd be no money and the state would just dissolve away because you wouldn't need one anymore. That wasn't happening. And you would say to yourself, I would say to me, well, I guess it turns out things turn out better than we thought. Life is not as bad as we thought, so let's all just go home. No, 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 because it wasn't about the working men. It was about them and their power. So they said, what are we going to do? And together, guys like Horkheimer and, uh, and Sololinsky and a, and a bunch of others said, look, we need to find the new revolutionaries. It's not going to be the working men. It's going, we need somebody else. And they realized that the, that the only group they could find was a group that they called the dispossessed. The dispossessed. We're not going to be going after workers, and it's not coming through the economy. We're going to go after people who consider their victims, and it's going to come through the culture. So they set up something called critical theory. Critical race theory is just a subset of that. No, it wasn't Jack Horkheimer. It was a different Horkheimer to my undying shame. Horkheimer. Did I say Horkheimer? It was Horkheimer. I don't know. You get the idea. So what they basically said was this. The only people who are, number one, angry enough to be revolutionaries, and number two, and this is the critical thing that they understood here, the only people that the American people will tolerate this from are people who are victims because the American people are so fundamentally decent and fair-minded that they will not criticize a blind man who's blaming the government for not having enough uh, ramps available, right? They're not going to attack victims because they're decent people. So what we have to do is we have to build a revolution of victims. They're going to be the ones who are going to be the, 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 the street army that's going to basically bring down America. And so critical theory says, attack the middle. Always attack the middle. Feminists, you tell, you tell feminists that, that America is the most misogynist society in the history of the world, and, and everywhere else is a paradise for women except for here, and they'll attack the center, the existing culture, e pluribus unum, the American way, attack. You tell uh, Mexicans that, that America is, is a country that stole all their land and, and, and that we, you know, it's a bunch of hypocrites and so on and so forth. And we blah, blah, blah. And you give them the story that they want and, you, and they attack the middle. And then you tell, um, you tell blacks that slavery has only existed in America. And not only did the, the white people force you to work, but you actually built America, black people, and white people stole that from you because of slavery. And you tell them that. And whatever happens, you tell it to American Indians, you tell it to anybody you can find, homosexuals, all of it. You tell everybody that it's all the fault of the center and never, ever, 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 ever let one of these tribes fight against each other. Never. That has to be squashed immediately. Attack the middle. Attack the middle from all sides. Critical theory. There's nothing good about America, they say, and that's what they've been teaching people for 40, 50 years now to the point where these young people have never heard anything different, so they believe it. Okay? That's basically the strategy. Now, when you ask why is it that people are saying, I cannot possibly uh, accept this movie because I'm black and there's no black characters in it. What is that person saying? This is the, this is the statement that you're objecting to and I'm objecting to. I can't, unless there's a black person in it, I can't connect to that movie. Well, that's ridiculous. I can connect to the to Lady in the Tramp. I, I, I'm not a cartoon dog and I still get something out of it. So why are they saying it? They're saying it because when they say it, they're told to say it, they're taught to say it. But when they say it, they're saying, I am a victim, right? I am a victim and I'm angry. The status quo has harmed me and they've harmed me by not showing me in their, in their white supremacist, racist, 
uh, entertainment. And the reason that I'm a, a drug dealer and not um, a, a, a chemical engineer is because there have been no images of chemical engineers of people who look like me on the screen, and therefore that's why that's why it is, right? It's the effect first and then the cause. That's how they see things. And so now they've made another victim. And when I was talking about this earlier today with Zoe, I was saying, if you want to know why they're going after younger and younger people for the trans movement, it's because it's not because they want to convert them. I'm talking about the, the powers that, that are structuring this. And there's not like a little cabal that sits there. I'm just talking about this, this, the, this, this philosophical movement, this Marxist movement. They're not trying to turn kids into transsexuals. They're not trying to turn kids into homosexuals. They're trying to turn kids into victims. That's what they're doing. That's what this whole thing is about. They're trying to turn them into victims. If you've got a normal, healthy kid who grows up, he's got no reason to hate this country. This is the best country in the world. And everybody knows it. And the reason you, there's evidence for that is because the people who hate the country the most still live here. Now, if you can take somebody and get them before they even hit puberty, which is what they're trying to do, that's this, this, this uh, drag queen on this clip that we talked about said, uh, we think it's just great and think it's wonderful for everybody and, and we should be exposing everybody to this, the younger the better. If you, can get to a, if you can get to a child and convince a boy that he's a girl or a girl that, that she's a boy before they hit puberty, that's actually not hard because before they hit puberty, they're not really, I mean, clearly they are they're, and they're destined to be and there's nothing you can do about that. But I hated girls up until the time I didn't and, and that's just because all of a sudden all these new hormones came in. I started to grow up a little bit. If you can get them before the hormones hit, then you can convince them of it. It's essentially just convincing them that, that, that they like, you know, SpongeBob. It's not, it's not hard. And then if you can, if, barring that, if you can get them as early as possible, especially in the teens, when you are a teenager, you are at your most vulnerable to peer pressure. The one thing that all teens, it's true for every single teen that has ever lived on this planet, all of us, all of us, all of us. When you are a teenager, you do not want to be different. You do not want to stand out. You've been raised in a family. You've been a kid. Now there's all kinds of new social pressures. You just do not want to be the guy who's got acne or the guy who's got braces or the guy who can't run. You don't want to be any of those things. You, you just want to get along. And now, if you tell them, that you can be special and be a hero by be, by believing in this thing that we're that we're selling. You will find people in their teens who are emotionally unable of making these decisions, but they are irrevocable decisions. You can't go back on these things. And so, when when we say that they're grooming them or recruiting them, it's true, but we're missing the point. They are. They are recruiting them not to be homosexuals or, or transsexuals or any of that. They're recruiting them to join the armies of the oppressed. They are trying to line up one more victim who can be angry for the rest of their lives at what somebody else did to prevent them from being happy. And that's all there is to it. It's just that simple. So that's why people say things like that. Now, it's good to be prepared because essentially all of this current politics, grievance politics, was championed by a guy named um, W.E.B. Du Bois. In the years after the Civil War, there was a great debate going on about 
regular watchers of the show have heard this story 30 times, but we've got some new people here, so here's a little, little fun for, story for you. After the Civil War was over, there was a, a gigantic debate among black leaders, philosophers, and so on, about what to do. We used to be slaves. We're not slaves anymore. How do we fit into society? Booker T. Washington said the way to fit into society is to earn our way there. We're going to start our own businesses. We're going to have our own banks. We're going to make our own money. We're going to come in as equals. We're not going to demand anything. When he built the Tuskegee Institute, there were no bricks to be bought in Alabama. You just didn't buy it. They just weren't there. So he started making bricks. And he failed four times, three times, got it on the fourth try. Booker T. Washington was pushing for excellence so that the bricks that were being manufactured by the black students at Tuskegee were the best bricks in the South. And he would say white racists, former plantation owners, would be forced to come to us and buy our bricks, which we sold them cheerfully, and then take these things that we made back to build their own houses with. That's how we're going to do it. And everything he touched succeeded. All of his students had better scores than the, than the white kids. They, they had better families than the white kids. Everything he touched succeeded because he demanded a lot. Now, on the other side was W.E. Du Bois, who basically said, look, this is his words, not my words, his words. Du Bois said, look, most black people can't take care of themselves, right? There's only a small handful of the most intelligent black people who can actually manage to, to govern ourselves. This is what the black leader W.E.B. Du Bois said. Booker T. Washington says, I'm not just making students. I have to make citizens first and then make them students. Du Bois said, no, no, no. He said, we are the talented 10th. Let me know if any of this left-wing uh, left um, arrogance and condescension is coming in. We are the talented 10th, said Du Bois. That's his term, Du Bois. He said, we're the talented 10th. You owe us for the grave injustice that's been done to us. So you, meaning the great white father, the federal government, give us the talented 10th, 10% of the black people that can actually govern ourselves. You give us money and power, and then we will govern black America. What do you say? And there sat the country at that crossroads. Which one of these two things are we going to pick? And we picked the victimhood path. We picked the, the envy path. We picked the, the anger path, the hatred path, all of this stuff. Booker T. Washington had been a slave, was born a slave, grew up as a slave. W.E. Du Bois went, lived in the most progressive town in Massachusetts, went to Harvard University, but we decided to listen to W.E. Du Bois and not listen to Booker T. Washington. And we are paying the price for it today. And as Eric points out, Du Bois's attitude has survived in Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and, all, and, and, and AOC and all the rest of these grievance mongers. But this is the most important point, and here's why I went through this whole song and dance, okay? I think W.E.B. Du Bois was the, was the absolute villain in this drama. I'm not saying he did it intentionally. I just think he was wrong. But I keep this in my pocket. I'm about to read you a quote, and it's not from Booker T. Washington. This is a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois, who I've just set up for you as the guy who was the founding father of modern grievance politics. And this is what he wrote. I can find it here. I know I can. I just don't know where it is. Give me one second. It's worth the wait. I hate the dead air, and I apologize for it, but nevertheless, sometimes that happens. Uh, 
Okay, it's not there. No. I, I, I am going to find it. Here, here we go. I saved this in 2017. This is a direct quote from W.E.B. Du Bois, the father of grievance politics, directly addressing the issue of representation. And this is what he said. Du Bois wrote in an essay and he said, quote, I sit with Shakespeare and he winces not. Across the color line, I move arm in arm with Balzac and Dumas, where smiling men and welcoming women glide in gilded halls. From out of the caves of the, e I think that should be out of the coves of the evening that swing between the strong-limbed earth and the tracery of the stars, I summon Aristotle and Aurelius, and they all come graciously with no scorn nor condescension. So, wed with the truth, I dwell above the veil, said W.E.B. Du Bois. I summon Shakespeare, and he winces not. I am calling upon the greatest writer who ever lived, and he is not making a face about having to sit down and talk to a black guy. I call on him, and he answers me. I talk to Aristotle. I talk to Aurelius, and they come at me graciously as an equal. He is basically making the case that this whole idea of, of not being able to understand it because I'm different is complete and utter nonsense. Not just nonsense, it's a lie. It's a filthy, filthy lie. And there it is from the mouth of the guy who's responsible for this entire political movement saying, essentially for setting the stage for this political movement, he wasn't part of the Frankfurt School. Actually, he was. He went to Germany uh, when he was studying and, and he got real interested in this new thing called socialism. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he was smart enough and honest enough to say, I summon Shakespeare and he winces not. And that means if W.E.B. Du Bois can summon Shakespeare, then any one of these people who are saying, I'm not represented on the screen. You are represented by the screen. You know who represents you? Who? Othello? No. Hamlet represents you. Iago represents you. Macbeth represents you. Lear represents you. Henry V represents you. It's not that you're represented by Othello because he was a Moor and you're black. You're represented by all of them because of the essence of the human condition that Shakespeare captured. To say he did it better than anybody else is, is, is just weak. He invented it. It just didn't exist before him. He invented it. Timeless, timeless ideas about all of this stuff. Othello is not about a black man. Othello is about a general and a soldier who has a deputy named Iago, who is so furious at him and so jealous of him that he destroys him. That's what Othello is about. It's not about a black guy. It's about a general. He was a Moorish general in the, in the I want to say, in the, uh, in the employ of, of, of Venice. Right? Right? So, it's a lie. And they know it's a lie. And it's a lie to create more victims. Okay, we got three to go, but I got I'm going to do them because I said I would. Uh, David Olson. Hey, Dave. Good to see you. Uh, reposting from last week. Uh, in your right angle tribute to Nichelle Nichols, you guys neglected to mention her pioneering work with NASA to get women and minorities into the astronaut corps. Her mission was so successful that the American astronaut with the most cumulative time in space is Peggy Whitson. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. As a side note, I'm a little younger than Steve Green, and as a TV watcher in the 70s, raised as I was on a steady diet of Sesame Street, The Jeffersons, and Star Trek, I didn't think anything was unusual about a black woman serving as an officer in Starfleet. She succeeded in that mission, too, until the Obamas ruined it. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. This country was well on its way to healing, well on its way to healing, and then along came Obama. And the reason Obama destroyed this country was because he had the opportunity to close the deal. You think of all the evil things that he's done and all of the all of the egotistical things and all of the Marxist things and all of the all of the lawless things, the unconstitutional things. Think about all of that. Put that aside for a second. That's not what's going to that's not why he's going to hell. He's going to hell because he had the ability to close the deal. Barack Obama had the ability to put an end to this thing forever. Barack Obama had to say one sentence, one. He had to stand up and say, while it is true that there are still a few individuals who are racist in this country, the fact that I, a black man, have been elected president of the United States goes to show that the United States of America is not a racist country. It is in fact the most accommodating, tolerant society on earth, and I am the walking proof of it. Drop the mic and get off the stage. Over. It's over. It's over if he says that. But he didn't. He didn't say that because it wasn't about black people. It wasn't about rights. It wasn't about suffering. It wasn't about injustice. He didn't grow up in the, in the deep south. Ben Carson did. And some other people did. He was smoking doobies on the, on the beach in Hawaii. That's the, that's the hardship Barack Obama had to go through. So, there you go. Now, Nichelle Nichols, on the other hand, as I mentioned in the show, I don't know her politics. I have no doubt whatsoever, completely antithetical to me. But she never said anything about it that I ever heard. You, you hear me now, George Takei? You listening? She had the class to keep it to herself because she didn't think she had the right to influence people directly by saying, here's what you should be doing. I'm an actor who would know better than another than an actor, professional liar who, who has no contact with reality. And I'm in show business. I'm not shooting down other people. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting down myself. That's what we do. Good writer is a professional liar and good actor is the guy who interprets that lie. So... As far as the thing with NASA goes, I truthfully did not know that she had been that influential with NASA. All I really can think about when I think of NASA and the original Star Trek cast was them visiting the Kennedy Space Center when the first shuttle was out. And right around that time, they decided to name the first shuttle Enterprise and everybody went hooray. And after they named it Enterprise, it became uh, known to everybody that Enterprise is not going to fly in space. It's just a mock-up base. It's an aerodynamic test vehicle. It's, it's not space rated. It's not a mock-up, but it's, it's, it's not made for space. It's made to, to practice landings. So, Enterprise means no enterprise. Um, I have no doubt that she did all of those things. Um, but she, Nichelle Nichols was able to be forceful without being mean. She wasn't, she wasn't shucking and jiving and she wasn't, you know, mass of this and mass of that. You didn't take any crap off of Uhura. But at the same time, Uhura was not in your face telling you what a horrible racist bastard you were. She expects you to do your job, and if you did your job, you got praised for it. If you didn't, you got criticized for doing your job incorrectly. So that was her. Then you get to the Uhura in, um, in the, in the uh, reboot, Jar Jar Abrams reboot, and now Uhura 
is a, is is not. She's she's a lot snappier. Not not even racially. She's just plain meaner. She's just angry all the time. Always angry. Always upset about something. And then now you've got this new Uhura in uh, in Brave New Worlds, who is astonished at everything. Wow. Ooh. That's neat. That's cool. I think science is awesome. Fantastic. Great. Okay. This is called the evolution, and and there it is. Um, so hopefully that covered that enough. That hopefully that was the uh, minimum viable product for for that question. Uh, here we go. Marusha Dark. Dun, da, da, da. And then Marusha Dark again. And then that's it. If there are more, there, then I'm not getting to them because I didn't see there's a page two. And even if there is, I'm going to pretend I didn't see it. Two to go. Topic, a subtle, a subtle tactic employed by the left. I was listening to, Bet, to Brett Weinstein interview Paul Bogosian. I'm sorry, Peter Bogosian. Peter made a really interesting point about NPR, and I would argue the rest of the MSM as well. On one hand, they have their woke experts argue a position. Then, rather than have an expert who genuinely and credibly believes the opposite come to challenge them, they have another of their woke experts come in to weakly steelman the case, explaining what they think the other side thinks. So mind reeling, really. I've never heard the term steel man, but I'm going to infer that that's the opposite of straw man. You're going to have come, somebody come in and try to make an argument stronger than it, than it could be. Uh, or, or deserves to be, so you can knock him down too. Uh, if this were a trial, you'd have the prosecution making its case, then instead of a defense counsel, you'd have another member of the prosecution team peddling hearsay and irrelevancy. And thinking about it, this seems true for all the major outlets from NPR, CNN, MSNBC, TYT, etc., and even some of the more politically siloed networks on the right as well. Based on the part of the defense, bias on the part of the defense will cause them to undermine their own cause because both because they don't want their enemy to win and also because based on the limited knowledge they have about the opponent's case, I think the only person I've seen successfully steal man the other side's case to that degree to do it justice is Scott Ott when he was co-hosting Bill Whittle Now, sharpening steel with steel, as Zoe put it. I don't know if this is the right word, but is there anything that can be done to help infiltrate the woke media and put genuine opposition in front of the camera? Or is that like trying to preach to an anti-communism to a Chinese peasant at this point? As an aside, I tried doing this sort of infiltration with my social experiment in anonymity, the one I mentioned privately, in an effort to combat identity politics. Sadly, what seems to have been that seems to have been an utter failure. I've been debating ending that mission. I'm just not sure if I should yet or how to go about it. Once done, it can't be undone. I feel like if I do, I want it to be meaningful. What do you think? All right. Uh, is there ever going to be a legitimate opposition to left-wing political commentary? No because if there was, there wouldn't be any further left-wing political commentary. The reason that they hire people to come in as so-called conservatives and then just reinforce everything they said is because their ideas do not stand up to cross-examination. Cross-examination is where the truth is. It's not, a, it's not in testimony. It's the cross-examination that's where the truth is. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. You know, Why did they use a magistrate judge instead of a federal judge? Doesn't mean he's corrupt, no. But it does mean they didn't get a federal judge so what does that tell you? There's no reason why they wouldn't try. So presumably, since it was in their interest to get a federal judge, they tried and couldn't find one who would go along with it. That's cross-examination. Um, so they can't, they can't possibly handle cross-examination. And so they will never have it. And that's why microphones are cut off with the left. 
That's why when somebody's making a point, when, when, when some accident happens, something spontaneous, maybe the CNN's out on the street or something, and somebody starts speaking the truth, uh, we, got, we got audio problems. We're going to have to cut away for, uh, looks like, uh, yeah, it's funny how these technical glitches happen just when people are starting to make a point or, or, or saying, you know, let's go Brandon, uh, except not let's go Brandon, or maybe when somebody's, you know, committing suicide, the video cameras go out, you know, just for 12 minutes or whatever, you get the idea. So no, that will never happen. And, and it can't happen. It's impossible. If it happens, they're done. Period. Uh, as far as the personal anonymity thing goes, uh, I can't give you any advice about that. Uh, I, I don't want to be responsible for giving you any advice about that. Uh, it's not that I'm ducking it. It's none of my business. I have nothing to say about it. I don't have uh, an opinion on it. It's deeply personal. And the only thing I would say about it is the logical observation that once something like that is done, it cannot be undone. So if it turns out you're on the fence, my personal advice to anybody who's on the fence about a decision that is irreversible would be to sit on it for a while until you're sure. And then then you can either do it or not do it, but you won't be um, conflicted about it. Okay, uh, final question. Uh, ending on a lighter note, uh, Reva is the Captain Marvel of Star Wars, and this meme proves it. Uh, Reva is the main character from uh, the um, uh, Obi-Wan catastrophe. She's the uh, Imperial uh, Inquisitor, basically, who generates raw terror in the hearts of everybody, even though she's this big and you know, puts on a mean face. Uh, sorry, the second I saw her the first time, I thought, nah, just don't, no, doesn't do it for me, sorry. Um, so uh, here's a here's a four-panel cartoon. Looks like a Simpsons cartoon with heads over it. And panel one, Reba's saying, "That's right, a girl wants Star Wars. How about that?" It's like a girl wants to play football. That's Lisa. Here's George Lucas saying, "That's super duper. In fact, we already have several girls in the series, and there's pictures of Leia and, and a bunch of others." Then back to Reba again. Well, then the fans must be racist. And then back to George Lucas again. Some of our best characters are black, and there's Lando and James Earl Jones and. Samuel Jackson, who must regret that every day of his life because he was absolutely miserable. I, never, I think it was possible for Sam Jackson to be bad in something. Even in Snakes on a Plane, he still... Some, you know, I am sick of these MF and snakes on this MF and plane. It's a better moment than every line he had in all the Star Wars movies. Okay, so... Um, so back up to the thing. Uh, repeat after me. It's not because you're black. Back to this woman character. It's not because you're a woman. It's because you're awful. Linguistic kill shots like that can help take the sting out of the left's cry of bigotry, which is the only weapon they have. Why don't conservatives fight back in this matter? Because they don't know how. They don't know how. I know how. Donald Trump knows how. And a, and a few others. The guys at Daily Wire know how. Crowder knows how. JP knows how. Mark Dice knows how. They know how to fight back. But fighting back is not the problem. Fighting back is playing defense in that 5% wedge that we already own. The answer is, how do you get to the 95% of the people who aren't even in the game? That's, that's where the market is. That's the, that's the absolute market that's sitting out there that no one's talking to, which is why I'm hanging around here doing my little thing on my own, because I genuinely believe in this stuff. I genuinely believe it's the ticket to ride and salvation. Yes, 
They're awful. They're not bad characters because they're black or women or anything, because we've already had black characters that were great. Lando Calrissian scared the bejesus out of Han Solo because you could see it on his face. Han Solo realized this guy's going to steal my girl because he is so smooth. He's so smooth. Right? And, and on and on and on it goes. Rey Skywalker is not, is not a is not a problem because she's a woman. People don't hate her because she's a woman. People hate her because she got everything without having to pay for it. Right? Oh, you never touch a lightsaber before? Never even seen one. Which end goes? Oh, this end. Oh, okay. Let me turn it on. Oh, oh, I just defeated the alt, the, 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 the Sith Lord. I've just defeated a guy who's been practicing with this weapon on his wife. He's the most powerful dark side force user in the galaxy. I just turned this on for the first time and I just beat him. <laughs> Weird. Just must have been good luck, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're, what do you do for a living? I'm a salvage person. Oh, you're, 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 you're an engineer? No, I'm more of a, like a, a junk rat. I go collect things. Okay, that's great. So you ever flown a spaceship before? Never been in one. Not, not a working one. Mm -mm. Okay, well, that's... Rock on, Ray, you know. I hope you get to go to flight school someday. And <laughs> things start exploding. Let's run. Let's run into this thing that I've never seen before. Let's get inside. Let's close the hatches. Let's fire up the engines. Let's fly the Millennium Falcon like it's never been flown before. Han Solo never flew the Falcon the way that that thing was done. Has she ever done it before? Nope, first time. First time just kind of, kind of came to me. I guess must be the force. Must just be the force. Okay. Okay. If you want to know why people don't respect the character, it's not because it's a woman. It's because she sucks. It's because she's not a character. She is a billboard. She is a one of those scrolling signs, you know, that you sometimes see in the windows of dry cleaners or something. That's what she is. She's a walking LED sign that's scrolling across the message that she is there to deliver to you. She's not a character. She never was. Never, ever could be a character. Because the people that wrote her are so insecure about what they believe in that the idea of having her fail or stumble or have to learn anything is intolerable to them. So she has no faults, which means nobody gives a damn about her. Nobody likes her. Nobody likes her because nobody went with her on this journey because she didn't go anywhere. She started at the top. That's it. Period. End of sentence. Now, if you want to say that, that, that science fiction fans are, are misogynist, okay, you could say so... I guess, Bill, you, since you hate women characters in science fiction so much, you must hate Ellen Ripley, right? No, Ellen Ripley's one of the iconic characters of, of, of science fiction. It's hard to imagine science fiction without Ripley. Well, how come you like Ripley and you didn't like, uh, and you didn't like um, uh, what's her name, Reva? It's because she's black, right? No, no. It's because Ripley is believable. The other person that I was rooting for probably the most on the Nostromo was actually Parker. I just thought he was the best guy on board. I thought he was the most human guy on the ship. Parker, you know, the black guy. Yafikoto, that character. So, no, it's not because she's black. It's, she's, it's not even because she sucks. It's because there's nothing there. Ripley didn't... Here's why Ripley worked. Ripley worked because if Ripley was written today and the alien appeared on the ship, then uh, all of the men would be cowering in a, in a room and... And, and Dallas might be willing to go with her, but he'd be bumping into things and, and probably knock himself unconscious on a pipe. And then she would get out there and say, 
it's clobbering time or whatever the hell she would say. And she'd go down there willingly and beat the shit out of this alien. And, and then she'd get in the ship and she'd ride off to glory, right? In the big parade. That's what they would do if they wrote Ripley today. But that's not why Ripley worked. Ripley worked because Ripley was terrified. And Ripley was terrified because that was a thing to be terrified about. It was a terrifying thing. I was terrified. Dallas was terrified. That's why Ripley worked. Because she was a human being. She wasn't a walking LED message board. She was real. And then you get to aliens and you think, okay, so is she is she in ass kicking mode now? Is that it? She just she just decides she's gonna go out and empower women? No. She will not go back there. That's the last she's that's the last place in the world she wants to go to is to go and see one of these things again. She wants to stay as far away from those things as possible. Okay. But there's two hundred colonists and stuff who've not, not answering the phone anymore. What yeah, there's families and stuff there, but you know, we thought we could use your expertise, but if you don't want to go, we understand because they're, they're really terrifying things. There's families there? Yeah, there's, there's little kids there. Okay, well, if we go, I'm going to stay. I'm not going where this thing is, right? No, 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 we're going to have soldiers to protect you. You have soldiers to protect me, right? Yes, you're going to kill it, right? You're going to kill it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, we're going to kill it. Okay, you're not going to take it home and study it or anything. No, 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 no. We just need you to help us point out what it is so we know we see it, and then we can protect you with the soldiers and, and, and you don't have to face this thing again and, and we'll save the colonists and everything will be groovy. All right, I'll go. So she goes. So why does she go down into the cooling tower, which is about to explode? Why does she do that? She does it for the same reason that she went back to get her cat. Because when you got one alien, you go back to get a cat. When you got 30 aliens, you go back to get a little girl. Stakes are higher, you see? It's a sequel. That's why it worked. She cares about people. She wants to leave. She wants to leave the Nostromo. She wants to leave the Sulaco. She didn't want to go in the first place on the Sulaco. She did it because she cares. And when she goes down into the cooling tower, she goes down into the cooling tower because her daughter, Ripley's biological daughter, died two years before Ripley was rescued. Died at age 70-something. She'd been sleeping for 50 years. And now, Newt is her daughter. It's not just a, a connection. She feels guilty. She's going to save this little girl because she didn't get to raise her own girl. That's why she goes down into face this hell. She doesn't go down there to kick its ass. If there was a way to get down there, get that girl out without kicking anybody's ass, she would have done it. And if there were soldiers to send down there to get that kid out, she would go with them to make sure it happened, but she, she's not like, get out of my way, only a man, uh, you know, only a woman can defeat. No, no, no. She did it. She did it for a believable reason, which is why she's a believable character, which is why she's an incredible character, actually, because her motivations were true. And everything that the left says is based on a lie. All of it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie, a lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. It's all lies, right? Two-thirds of our mission controllers are women. If only there had been women there, we would have done it so much better. I don't agree, but I will tell you this. If there were two-thirds of that mission control were women, it's because somebody forced that. Somebody coerced somebody into doing that because that's not how it, that's not how it goes when people are free. In other words, the truth is over here. What we want you to believe is over here. We're going to make you believe it. That's why. That's why this stuff is what it is. That's why some of it works and why some of it doesn't. Uh, and... It's got nothing to do with race, it's got nothing to do with gender, it's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's got to do with you suck and you are 
And as I said on Doomcock Show, it's all about stolen valor. You are making Michael Burnham Spock's mystery sister that had not been brought up in 50 years. And the reason you are making him Spock's sister with Sarek as his father, as her father, is because you want the affection and the credibility that Mr. Spock has built up over 50 years, but you don't want to pay for it. So you're just stealing with it. You're, 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 you're putting on his medals and wearing them yourself. You've stolen his valor. You've stolen his reputation. You've stolen his credibility. You've stolen the affection that people feel for him. And you are so stupid, you writers, to think that that's going to work. Think that that's going to work. Oh, yeah, she was Spock's... Actually, not, not only was she Spock's sister, she was actually Spock's smarter sister. That's how good she is. Spock's smarter sister, smarter than Spock was, actually. Yeah. Says you. I don't believe it. And, and the thing about this is, it didn't have to be that way. Michael Burnham could have been a great character like Janeway or, or anybody else. Could have been a great character. All it needed was a writer. All it needed was writers who could write and who understood that you put your people into peril and that they make mistakes and that by making mistakes, they feel pain, and that pain is something we can identify with, so when they finally succeed, we're on board. But if you don't have the talent or the, or the, uh, or the character, if you're so terrified of appearing weak at all times, then there you go. Um, so yes, so, so Discovery's not canon, and neither are the J.J. The, the, the the J. J. Abrams. None of it is. But it's done. You cannot unsee Jean-Luc Picard as this fossilized mummy talking about how badly the Federation needed to be whipped because of its crimes. You can't undo it. It's there. It's been said. It's been done. You can't unsee him. And now they've, they've mentioned that they're going to bring back the pretty much the entire cast of The Next Generation for season three of Picard. And not only will that not change things, not only will it not bring credibility to Picard, I'll tell you what it will do. It will demean every one of the members of that cast for doing it in the first place, but it will also do something much more elemental than that. You are going to get to see just how fat Riker is. You're going to get to see just how old they are, just how slow they are. You're going to see just how incapable they are. You're going to get to see them with all their flaws when you could have just let them sail away into the sunset 25, 30 years ago at the end of the last movie, and that was it. If you ever went through the Star Trek original series movies and watched Kirk get fatter and fatter and fatter and 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 watched Star Trek V and just sat there like, oh my God, they look so old, they look so old. You didn't have to go through that on Next Generation yet, but you're about to. Q is old, man. Old man. I understand that Picard would be an old man, but why is Q an old man? He's he's an immortal creature. He's been he's been immortal since he's been immortal. So why is he old now? Because the actor who's playing him is old, and we want to work him in to get that because we, we want to get that stolen valor. Yes, yeah, Star Trek Six was great. It was a surprise, happy surprise. Um, okay, so. There you go. You can bring back the cast, but you're not going to bring back the affection. All you're going to do is you're going to show the people that used to love these characters how much they can hate them now. 
Kathleen Kennedy has said, according to uh, uh, our overlord, uh, that um, she has basically said, either, either I get my way at Lucasfilm and Star Wars belongs to me or I'm going to burn the whole thing down. And I realize either one of those is perfectly acceptable to her. She is determined to destroy Star Wars because Star Wars is true and what she believes in isn't. Star Wars is true and what she believes in isn't. My friend Jim said this, I mentioned it probably last week on the show. It's so simple it knocked me back. He said, everything that happens in nature is true. And once I heard that, I said to myself, my God, that's absolutely so unbelievably profound that I cannot believe it didn't occur to me. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things like the election thing. It's so big and it's so close, you can't see it. Everything in nature is true. There is no lying in nature. Buffaloes don't lie. Hummingbirds don't lie. Everything they do is true. We're the only species, and that goes for dolphins and whales and all the rest of it, we're the only species that is able to tell lies because we're the only species that has free will. And when you can tell a lie and get something from it, some people will do that. Everything they base that they believe is based on a lie. And the thing about lying is you get a lot of short-term advantages, but in the long run, you will lose. And in the long run, they will lose. And that's all there is to it. And now the official recording time is four hours and 55 seconds. We've been on the air for four minutes, uh, four hours and 22 minutes, but we've been recording for four hours and one minute and three seconds, which is a new Stratosphere Lounge record. Uh, and um, I would rather have gone through this than, uh, than to have once again not gotten through all of our, our members' questions. This is, a member, this is a record by an hour. This is... 25% longer than the previous record. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, I think it's probably time for me to go home. Um, uh, this show is made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com, and to them we are always grateful. We thank them at the end of pretty much every show we get, and, uh, and we're doing it right now. So uh, thank you uh, for your support and continuing emotional support and financial support and your continuing patience with things like me recording a whole week of episodes with the wrong mic uh, input because I got here with stuff on my mind and uh, I don't have an engineer. But anyway, um, we're grateful that we, we got cameras and we got electricity and so far that's, that's basically uh, all we need. All right, so um, thank, thank you for this edition. I hope uh, those of you that saw the artwork in the beginning were as interested in it as I was. I thought it was fascinating. And uh, if you missed it, don't beat yourself up. It is genuinely good old-fashioned nightmare fuel in the words of one of the greatest shows ever written. Okay, so, um, and don't worry about that, Eric. That's just how things happen. Uh, so uh, we will see you next week uh, right here on your very own, your very own, my very own, our very own Stratosphere.